Danny DeVito kills Jimmy Hoffa, Tom Hanks catches Leo, and the chains come off Django this week on 30 Hello all and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, bringing you back to all the wonderful, wonderful anniversaries of movies, TV, video games, music, a little bit of news, and so very much more. Hello, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and can you hear the people sing? Well, I kind of wish I couldn't. Ah, and <laughs> and I'm Gerald, and one podcast more. Oh, come on. <laughs> come Another on. dozen movies. There's never any road to nerd relevancy. These hosts who seem to know my lines will surely record a thousand times one podcast more. <sighs> I did not talk until this network. How so, can I talk without an audience? So one podcast God. more in three hours you'll click away. And yet with you my world has started. Look, my reference to what's coming up later in the show is I just want to be less miserable than I am right now. <laughs> and uh, I just I was not expecting us both to sing. There's Me plenty of other references I could do. Wait, how about never cross a picket line? Because that will make you a scumbag ah. rat scab. Well, hey, hey, there's a and good someone will blow up your car. There's a good reason to sing because this week on 302010, the show where we look 30 uh, 20 and 10 years back in pop culture history, we are celebrating Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas Yay. everyone. Happy Hanukkah right now, but Merry Christmas 3 decades in the past. Uh, we will be looking at the weeks the week of December 23rd to the 29th in 1992, 2002 and 2012. So, 302010, get it, tell a friend. Uh, want to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash laser time. Look forward to Dark Crystal, Star Wars stuff, all their extra stuff for our patrons. Thank you, people like Chris Parker and our many other fine patrons at patreon.com slash laser time, supporting this show and the whole laser time network. Yeah, Chris Parker, just saying he was a really big help this week and he knows why. Can I just say right now, I feel like this might be an oops all recommendations with a couple exceptions. Yeah. But because yeah. it's Christmas, all the movies that are like really gunning for oscars a lot of them come out christmas day because that's one week to the end of the year yeah it's the latest they can come out to qualify i think typically like the fourth of july and the christmas weekend were the biggest because it's the time people have the most off and as you'll see television for the most part takes a break like people who work in tv they throw on specials i know 30 years ago i think it was one of the last times rudolph the red-nosed reindeer actually aired on christmas on the network so mm. Mm. Oh. yeah but uh, let's get into 1992 speaking of that uh this doesn't even. This doesn't seem real. Jazz singer Harry Connick Jr. is. Did did anybody guess caught with a nine millimeter gun in JFK Airport in New York? Harry Connick <laughs> See, Jr. I, Harry Connick Jr. I remember this from the time, and uh, so he was in utter violation of New York gun laws. Oh, yeah. But uh, most laws have a little asterisk in it, and actually, in the second news statement that asterisk is going to be evoked again. And that asterisk says, unless you're rich and famous. Yeah. And that clause was invoked in this case. Um, there was a very similar case that happened like a week before him. And that mm -hmm. person didn't get their charges thrown out. Harry Connick Jr. did a, a PSA and that was that. What is he like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I got all these fans and these 65-year-old ladies get a little crazy. I got to protect myself. No, he's what? from New Orleans, yo. He's oh, okay. ready to throw down. Okay, all right, fine. 
Uh, he, he said he was just bringing it as a gift for a friend. That, sure. That was what he, yeah. Yeah. Uh, as you yeah. do. Also, uh-huh. rich gifts. Jesus. Rich gifts. A nine yeah, millimeter I tried gun. I to find his actual public service an- announcement. It, it doesn't appear to be on YouTube or anywhere mm-hmm. else, but New York Times basically said it's him going, Did you know you're not supposed to bring guns into an airport? I didn't. I know. It's weird. <laughs> uh, and then also this week, Times Person of the Year. Bill Clinton, huh? That held up great. Uh, <laughs> no, okay, it makes so sense. You know, it I mean, it makes sense because yeah, Time Magazine's qualifications for being Person of the Year is, I'm quoting here, the person they think has had the most effects on things that have happened in that year, in the calendar year 1992. I don't think that was Bill Clinton. He was not mm-hmm. president. He was running for president, but he didn't actually affect things until he became president. But of course, Time Magazine's actual qualifications for who should be Time Magazine's person of the year is who do we think will sell the most issues? There you go. And bam, Bill Clinton got that. Yeah, because the only thing I remember about his candidacy is that no one was really expecting him to run, let alone expecting him to win. My parents, lifelong Democrats, I remember who they said they were supporting, and then Bill Clinton started to be on everything. He was in everybody's mouths. People couldn't stop talking about him. And yeah, no, I, there I actually was... think that that's fair because uh, at the end of 1991, did anyone know who Bill Clinton was? No. No. The end of 1992, he's president. Yeah. Yeah. Cause... All right. Yeah. There's yeah. that Saturday Night Live skit from the time, uh, the race to not lose against George Bush. And that was when his <laughs> uh, ratings were in, you know, the 90 percentiles or something like that. And Bill Clinton appeared for the first time. And it was like, who's this guy? Who? The Who's governor of where? Yeah. Eh? Well, that did happen. As did the movies we'll talk about in 1992 of uh, December 23rd to the 29th. A uh, Few Good Men is still number one at the box office. Again, amazing. A relatively simple, well-done legal drama. The world cannot get enough of it. Uh, and the next movie I don't know anything about. No? Oh, you didn't watch this? No, I thought... I was, I, hoping, I was mm, hoping you'd watch this. I usually do. Stony Jack... Ooh, Stony Jackson, Tiny Lister... Uh, Bruce A. Young, Devoro, uh, Art Evans, Ice Cube, William Sadler, Ice and Ice T to confuse all the white people out there. Bill Paxton, ladies and gentlemen, it's Trespass. Now, if that loot is here, buddy, I want it. The one with the action. Damn it, Don, we're getting in awful deep. We don't want no trouble. We just want my brother back. The one with the heat. You come any closer, you're a dead man. Thank you, seriously, man. Somebody else needs to take over. You need to stop thinking with your trigger finger and use your brain. The one with the power. It's all about survival. It's all about getting yours. Trespass. Ready. Trespass. Uh, yes. Uh, I should have watched this because if I'm going to spoil the rest of the show, I said it off mic. Most of the, th- several of the things in the rest of the show I watched so frequently, there was no point in rewatching for this program. And I do like myself an 80s slash 90s. B action movie and boy does this look like just that. Ah, and let me sell it to you even more. Directed by Walter Hill. Wow. God damn it. What was I thinking? Yeah, directed the Warriors and written by Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis. What the hell? The Back to the Future guys, it does not feel like a Back to the Future guys. Of course not. <laughs> they wrote it long before. But this movie was delayed from the summer for two reasons. One, we talked about Ice T releasing Cop Killer. Ah. Not great for everyone involved. And number two, the original title of this movie was Looters. And what happened in Los Angeles oh in April and May? Oh yeah. Nothing of importance. 
nothing to talk about. So this got pushed way to the end of the year, and it is crazy. It is about Bill Paxton and William Sadler are two firefighters who in the middle of a fire, there's an old dude with like an envelope and a gun. And he's like, they're like, come on, we'll get you out of here. And he's like, take this. I'm sorry for what I did. And then catches on fire. And uh, they're like, what the fuck? And so they look through it and it's like, oh, it's all this stuff about this big gold heist. I think it's uh, it's a map to east st louis so let's let's go there it's in an abandoned building this is cool and then while they're there some you know drug gags show up and murder a dude and their witnesses and now it is a standoff it's like an alamo situation they've locked themselves into this one part of this abandoned building and all the gangsters are trying to get in and man do so many people get thrown through fake windows like (laughs) they must have set a fucking record and it's weird because at first I was kind of like, what is going on here? Because like Bill Paxton and William Sadler are both like real fun actors and they feel like they're doing a terrible job at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then as it gets more ramped up and thrillery and pressurey, it's like, oh, now it's good. Why was the setup feeling so cheesy? Mm. I don't know. So if you do watch this, just know it gets better <laughs> once once it becomes a standoff. But the setup for it is like, this feels like a student film. Like, why is everyone acting bad? Mm. Well, but then Ice-T and Ice Cube, button heads. Ice-T Ice is the gang leader. Ice Cube is the hothead. Saying, like, let's just blow up the building. And they're like, no, because they got my brother. Oh, my God. It was so much fun. Trespass. Damn it. I really wish I would have checked it out. Instead, I bored myself with a little bit of this movie. And I don't want to bore the audience again. About six months from now, I will be awoken to all movies and watching everything that comes out in video rental stores and I taped this off of a video rental and watched it all the time and I couldn't tell you why outside of the relatively astounding track record of Danny DeVito as a director yeah, yeah. I at this point he's pretty great and this is this I think this is his best directed movie what you think so yeah I he love... does a lot of like flashy stuff but it's like 40 style flashy mm. I was really surprised like oh this is Fun. It's odd to think I just saw him on an Always Sunny podcast and just like, oh yeah, got my start as a hairdresser and then became an actor, a very famous actor. And it, I love War of the Roses and Matilda and and some of the other stuff Danny DeVito has done. Uh, but Frank Frank Whaley, John C. Riley, J.T. Walsh, Armando Sante, Danny DeVito, and of course Jack Nicholson in Hoffa. He was as determined. Have you had enough of it? As he was defiant. I'm gonna do what I gotta do, get the unit back. As courageous. He said, why shouldn't he take you out in the alley and beat you until you beg for death? As he was dangerous. The Justice Department has plenty on you, Mr. Hoffa. In every conflict there are casualties. The question is, what has been lost and what has been gained? Jack Nicholson, Danny DeVito, Hoffa. It was, uh, you wanna keep going? Yeah, I can talk a little bit. It was, it was, I don't, have any affection for the tale of Jimmy Hoffa or the accuracy of how he died. But like, you know, now my memories have been are painted by the man who paint houses, the Irishman. Mm-hmm. Yep. You could totally watch this as a prequel to Irishman. Yes. yes. And they tell very conflicting stories. Yes. At the end. <laughs> yes, they do. That, and that's, that's what makes it infuriating. Cause the thing that's most interesting about Jimmy Hoffa is who did it and how, and where and what, and these movies both have completely different conclusions. 
surprise, the mob did it. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. Yes, because I think yeah, uh, there's there's a lot more how or why in this because that's really it's very just the, the tail end. It, it is trying to tell the whole story of Jimmy Hoffa, but fortunately they do not start, you know, he does not have to think about his whole life before he can go to <laughs> <laughs> a union meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, they, it's really just his rise through the 30s and the rise of organized labor at the same time. Yeah, the, and the, a lot the, of that the, is really compelling. The blurb I saw is it tells more of the story of why would you want to kill Jimmy Hoffa? Where that's not the story of Irishman, where it's like mm. this is how many people he rubs the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. It, it's such an amazing moment in time because Jimmy Hoffa's life corresponded with the rise and the fall of American labor, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. unionization specifically. So. In 1955, union membership in the U.S. was 35% of the working population. Mm-hmm. 1980, it was 20%, and today it's 11%. Jesus. So it has fallen tremendously. I mean, when something is 33% of the labor force, it can't be ignored. 11%, you're getting into very unusual territory. Mm. Yeah, and how many of those are public employees? Like. Uh, most huge of percentage. Them. Yeah, cops, uh, Hollywood teachers. and DC and state governments. That's those are yeah. the big ones. Yeah. So it's kind of it's interesting. The, it, there's a lot of things that are interesting about this. First of all, just like with Robin Williams and Aladdin, Jack Nicholson did not want to promote a few good men and make that a big deal because he's only in it for a little bit. Yeah. This is the movie he really cared about, and it got so overshadowed, just like Aladdin and Toys. Mm-hmm. And that's such a pity because it's not a great movie, but it's an amazing performance. Yeah. He, I think this is one he is of so good. This is one of Jack Nicholson's rare times when he's not Jack Nicholson. Yes. Where he's really yes. Hoffa. He's not he's not playing that Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson out the Nicholsons. The, he the, is Hoffa. Nicholson's typical MO is like I'm laid back and I do what I do and I put that in every role. But now he's a different person here and he's kind of cruising for an Oscar nod. He is charging forward like a fucking bull in a china shop. The makeup on him is fantastic. This was hard to get. 1992, it's amazing. Yeah, it gets one of its only Oscar nominations. I had to get it as a DVD from the library. Yep. And I thought, oh, on DVD, that makeup is not going to work. No, man. It looked perfect and like he walks different his manners different like he really transforms he in a way i've never himself seen into him. the role and one Dude. thing I, I really admired about this film is unlike a lot of biopics this knows exactly the story it wants to tell mm-hmm. this is yeah. the story of hoffa and organized labor and the mafia and his wife just appears as a cameo <laughs> You know, his wife and kids are cameos. They're not, it's not about them. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. I didn't realize he was married until like most of the way through the movie. He's like, gets on a stage and a wife comes with him and like gives her a kiss. I'm like, who the fuck is that? And then at the end, very end, bye-bye granddaughter. Oh, well, so you had kids and those kids had kids. Okay. Yeah, that that doesn't doesn't really matter. That's not the story. The DeVito character though. Okay. Yeah. He is not real. He is a composite character character of a lot of different people which makes sense from a movie making standpoint Mm -hmm. but it also makes it so that this film is not about jimmy hoffa this film is about jimmy hoffa and his imaginary friend (laughs) (laughs) but it does something that i think is so 
amazing. I have never seen in a movie before. And I think it's just because Danny DeVito is also the director. I have never seen Danny DeVito inflict so much real violence on people, not comedy mm -hmm. violence, mm -hmm. but the whole movie ignores the fact that Danny DeVito is like four foot 11. <laughs> like he's the well, muscle. If you, There's a couple of points where he's shoving dudes and waving guns around. And if you've got no, a gun, I'm going to be scared of you if you're four foot five. Yeah, I, I know. But yeah, the point where he's like muscling dudes out of the office and it's like no yeah. one ever acknowledges that Danny DeVito is rather short. I love that. Mm -hmm. I thought it was great. Like Danny's living his fantasy and this is fantastic. You're six feet tall in your mind, Danny DeVito, and we love you. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, also, I mean, baby John C. Riley in this, that was pretty fun. But I, I forget I my... that he was a serious actor. I forget that, but he that was a huge chunk of his career, which mm -hmm. uh, we'll talk in one of the future Oscar movies for 2002 that we talk about in the future, because otherwise we'd talk about everything this week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we got to go with wide release dates. So if you're wondering, how come you haven't talked about? Yeah, it's because it's it's coming and, and January, uh, maybe even February. I think. Hoff is like, hard. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think my big problem is. I, I learned a lot about organized labor and, and the problems with organized labor, like how it can be used for evil as well as good. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like the movie is like entirely on his side. Like Hoffa did nothing wrong. Mm. Yeah, well, like, it's, it's ah, the firebombing the laundry problem. was probably a bad thing. Yeah, we're seeing everything through Hoffa's eyes. So therefore, we're putting ourselves in his toes. If you... Mm step outside for like 30 seconds it's like oh yeah he uh is killing people he's beating up people who are exercising their own rights you know he's uh using violence for political ends which is you know a no-no don't do that and uh he's uh not a good guy he's stealing from the people he's working for Yep. But yeah, and there's I guess a throwaway so, but... line, you know, how much do you make? Yeah, it's none of your business how much I make. And he lives in this huge <laughs> mansion and you know, he's yeah. stealing from the pension fund is yeah, I think what sent him to jail. But yeah. Yeah. And they skip over some of the other things he went to jail for, like trying to bribe a grand jury member. That's hmm. pretty bad. And it's like it's and it's it's an okay screenplay, it's David Mamet. And mm -hmm. and so uh it's not very mammity dialogue, but it, you do understand like what is so impressive with this guy. At the same time, like there's kind of a better movie hiding in here of like, do the ends justify the means? Like he, he mm -hmm. makes an argument towards the end of the movie where it's like, we got so many people into organized labor. We have created a middle class mm -hmm. through the power of collective bargaining, which is fucking true. Mm -hmm. But does that mean it's okay to loan money to the mob? I didn't get to finish this, but like, I don't care about the story of Jimmy Hoffa, really, but like this mm. and the Irishman are what give me a complete picture of that situation uh, or the person. And there are there is some big scenes in this. I mm -hmm. mean, there's hundreds of guys beating the shit out of each other at yeah. a strike break. And it's like going on. In the back. There's a scene where Danny DeVito gets pulled over on the freeway. I was so impressed by it because all the cars going by have to be vintage cars while you're mm -hmm. filming this scene. Mm hmm. Like, that's expensive. There's, and this movie lost money. Yeah, there's and some, that's the, a bummer. The movie is not unimpressive. It's just like, I don't, I don't think it's terribly essential unless you really like the Irishman, Jimmy Hoffa, or yeah. seeing a Jack Nicholson performance. I just wasn't, I was never really wowed by it. it. It's just bizarrely one of the first movies I gave myself access to. So I watched this all the time. 
Um, yeah, I, it, it ends up being kind of a light recommend for me for okay. the combination of Nicholson's performance and how audacious the directing is. Like, seriously, there is shit in there that's like, oh, that's a cool trick. If I saw it in a Humphrey Bogart movie, I would have been like, ooh. Mm. <laughs> But why are you doing that in 1992? Because you can, because you're Danny DeVito. And then, and then Good for you. Moving on to television, some notable stuff here. Uh, I'll start with MST3K, the Human Duplicators episode. Fun one. Oh, God. Uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're in the golden age yeah. of MST3K right now. I, I'm, I'm yep. holding back from just putting everything. Well, I think, I think we're in the golden a... age because, like, it is the highest rated thing on Comedy Central and they're playing it all the time. They even make another mm-hmm. version that's an hour so they can show more of it to people. And oh yeah, forgot about that. That like hour long version yes. hosted by Mike Nelson in uh, tons of makeup. Yes, if you get the yeah. DVD, they include, it's one of the rare times they include those interstitials of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 hour for this episode because this was cut up into an hour. What I Edition. love about this movie movie uh, judging it as a movie is it tries to be a mystery when it gives you the secret to the mystery in the title <laughs> uh, yeah but this is this is kind of peak mst in that you had tons of access to it just a, a unprecedented access to a two-hour show with 20 episodes 24 episodes coming out every year fantastic <laughs> Uh, speaking of which, yes, the, the last episode of the 13th season just arrived for Kickstarter, so make sure you see it, because I haven't yet. Uh, bizarre thing, I feel, Back to the Future, the animated series ends. I had no idea until I started researching it how much of an extended universe Back to the Future has. Yeah. Now, apparently, none of it is canon except for the movies, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of stuff out there. There's yep. comic books, the ride is yeah. apparently, you know, is made by Zemeckis, so I don't know, maybe. And, uh, Gale, specifically. Uh, and Ga- Bob Gale is involved with series. a lot of this. The comic book series, which I think there was a comic book series of the animated series as well. It, like okay. As in, like, th- within the last 10 years I'm talking about, not, like, back in the day. Because if you go into, like, a Target right now, they have action figures for the animated series. Just talking about this during Christmas, because I just read an article. If you go into, like, a Target or Walmart toys section which are sadly our toy stores now it's about half kid adult toys and mm-hmm. kid toys and it's I want yeah because it. i've i've shown back to the future to my kids but mm-hmm. never in a million years will they ever buy a action figure yeah they're, they're not so. buying real ghostbusters toys or he-man toys which are all being re-released right now in the toy section but it turns out, like, our generation cares way more about toys than our children may. But, but it's... Well, that's apps. You know, mm-hmm. my kid would definitely like Fortnite bucks more than mm-hmm. most toys. I'm sorry. That's it's just... true. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. know very little about this. I think you could get the full series on one of the complete uh, trilogy boxes. Yeah, sets. one of the complete things that was thrown as, as a bonus feature because mm-hmm. no one cares about it. I mean, it is interesting in some way because Christopher Lloyd does yep. report his role in live action interstitials it's also the first appearance of bill nye on international on national television mm-hmm. you know he was appearing in a uh, seattle-based uh show called almost live but this is the first time he went national mm. uh but they do some odd choices jules and Vern, the two kids at the end of back to the yes. future three are really the stars of this movie instead of Marty, mm-hmm. which I don't know. I was a huge Back to the Future fan, and yeah. I would have loved to have seen more Marty. But and what that would have done 
that would have they would have had to have made this teenager uh, show PG Rick yeah. and M- Morty in 1992. <laughs> Maybe I think that I think that's silly. You could have made him any almost any age you want, something between sophomore and middle schooler, and you could have justified just about anything. I think that's a little yeah. silly. But it, I, I think it's a failed experiment. It's more interesting to tell people that this exists than it is to actually watch it. Yeah. Um, but in, in some ways, you know, now that I've had my mouth attached to the fire hose of constant nerd reboots Nostalgia. and sequels mm-hmm. and prequels, I actually kind of really enjoy Back to the Future. I always say that as preserved. Yeah, it's done. There's no continuation. That's all you get. Enjoy it and rewatch it whenever you want. And the fan base has, has the fan base has yet to toxify and become disclusionary mm-hmm. and demand certain things about the series because there's not anything happening with it, and hopefully there never will. I don't know how it won't because I always try and maintain we are kind of the same as our the generation making us stuff. I think the the genesis of the Back to the Future idea was to like, what if a kid could hang out with his parents when they're his age? Why wouldn't one of us write a movie where the kid hangs out with their parents in the 80s? It's a great idea, but the Back to the Future uh, trilogy jettisoned that idea Mm -hmm. when uh, the actor who played Marty's father wanted an equal paycheck with uh, Michael (laughs) J. Fox. So they had to kind of make two and three really not about that. Yeah, But uh, it's a great idea. This series, though, had one of the episodes is titled Forward to the Past. Now, as a 12-year-old, before this cartoon ever came out, me and my friends came up with the idea that if there was ever a Back to the Future 4, it should be called Forward to the Past. So somehow, (laughs) they were listening to our conversations at Uplands (laughs) Elementary in 1994, and they stole our idea, so I want residuals. There you go. There you go. But as for a show I did watch, and and my memories are very shaky of shaky ground, but every time I see Matt Frewer, that's what I know him from. I a little bit of Honey I Shrunk what? the Kids. Max really? Headroom was kind of dumb. Not Max Headroom. Huh? I, was, I was a little. I was really little when that was a thing. And yeah, but I mean, Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah. But it was from this, and this was a Fox sitcom where he was a put upon father, but like not only pathetic. Whereas most dads were like, "Come on, son, you got buck up." Like uh, dads were very typical. It was a Fox Network show. And they were known for making atypical sitcoms that got a little surreal. So he was far more Homer Simpson kicked in the balls. I was looking, there was an episode where he wanted to try to regrow his hair because he's balding and then he turns into a werewolf. Um, uh, there's an episode where he takes up dance foo, a combination yes. of marsh, martial arts and jazz dancing. It's not Get a Life, but it is still the Fox Network's approach to an untraditional sitcom. And the Fox Network had my number. They were advertising this all during Batman Tiny Toon, so of course I was going to watch Shaky Ground, and I watched it the whole time and until it was gone. We should mention this is the premiere of Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yes, yeah, oh. this is her debut. Yeah. And then Little also, baby. I keep getting reminded of this because, God damn, look, I am mildly annoyed by all the Friends nostalgia and merchandise I keep seeing everywhere. But there's a Christmas ornament with a turkey with the sunglasses on it that says Friends, and like. The, oh. the thing with a turkey in his head was Mr. Merry Christmas, Mr. Bean, the Mr. Bean yeah. Christmas special. Uh, that's the where the turkey gets stuck on your head. That's where the turkey becomes a human head. It's in this episode 30 years ago, and they even reused the bit in the movie. It's that famous. 
So yep. yes. Oh, uh, this is this is one of my favorite Christmas specials. Mm-hmm. I mean, no huge surprise. This and Black Adder because Rowan Atkinson's a goddamn genius. But the payoff at the end of this mm-hmm. <laughs> with his girlfriend, who also doesn't really talk, uh, you know, pointing at something in a jewelry shop window. That's the setup, and then the way that pays off at the end. Oh my god! And then. Uh, then he makes the the world's biggest Christmas cracker and and blows up his house. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I have tried to like really? Mr. Bean many times. Huh. I gave it a shot with this Christmas episode again because I'm older and I'm like, okay, let's just uh, really watch this thing, appreciate it as its own sense of humor and. It did nothing up for me. Not even it. the famous turkey on his head. I, I was just like, no, nope, this it. is not for I me. I can't recommend it. And I, I remember when I, I haven't traveled to that many countries, but I went to, uh, when I went to a Spanish speaking country, I was connecting with the Simpsons because like I had, a, I even brought a Simpsons episode guide with me. So I was learning Spanish there and I, it was very helpful. But then, you know, they'd have Saved by the Bell and like all these other shows with Spanish language tracks. Mr. Bean required almost no dub or subtitles. He's yeah. a, a silent and, yeah. and like it's silent humor. I I remember the feeling of like I really love this show, and I'm sitting next to these kids who do not speak English, and we're all loving this on the exact same level. And the parents are laughing, I'm laughing. It was great. I love Mr. Bean. Oh, that's one of the reasons why he's a very old timey classical comedy character, almost something from the silent era. Uh, that's just one of the many yeah. things Rowan Atkinson really? does. And neat. And then let's move yep. on to the. Games of 1992 because they're trying to squeak them out for that Christmas audience. Oh, this seems way too late, man. Well, okay, so uh, it's not probably not baseball, accurate. I mm-hmm. could either release all release all the uh, December 1992 yeah. games in one week, or I can space them out over the month we talk about them because there yeah, are no enough. exact dates yeah. in 1992 for games. Anyone uh... who says. This okay. came out here then is BS. There, there will be. Here in a truck, whenever it arrived yes. is when it got released. Sonic, and Mario, and Mortal Kombat will change that. Like, do not release before this date. But really, games were just like, we put them down on the East Coast. Get them across the country as fast as you can. There is no release date. So and, all gotcha. the dates I could find are my best guesses for the month. And uh, that there's some it's, info. I, I remember the there, was a, can, there was a Mega Man game. It wasn't even this one. It's release date is like Christmas Day because that's like the best record anybody could find of when they get. Of course, it didn't come out Christmas Day. Yeah, but uh, uh, but yeah. So I just usually sort them in 1992 by category. Mm-hmm. This week we'll talk about all the NES games. Next week the Sega, then the PC, maybe arcade if there's some notable ones. That's that's how we do it because there's no definitive dates. If there were, I'd use them, but they don't exist. But starting gotcha. out with Mega Man Five, it's out on NES and the Mega Man formula. This is the for I think both the mass audience and myself. Like, oh, I'm this is becoming less special. <laughs> yeah, the, see, that's the thing though. If this had came out mm-hmm. earlier, everyone would remember it fondly yeah. because this is the superior Mega Man. Game. Sure, I'm sorry, I love too. This is objectively better than two. It's yeah. refined. It's better graphic. It plays around with things more. There's a Gravity Man stage with some really nice mechanics where you flip up and gravity gets reversed and then you jump over something and gravity gets reversed again and you have to play around with it. So this 
is banned in Vietnam. Can you guess why, Diana? <laughs> is, it, is it for deer hunter man? Mecca Ho Chi Minh? You fight Napalm Man. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Still sensitive and topic. Yep. His, I, I, I wanted Mecca his, Ho Chi Minh, but fair enough. Nope. His stage is also very much themed like a Japanese man has watched a lot of American Vietnam movies. And we should be be clear. This comes from Japan, who dealt with their own fire during the fire incidents during the war as well. Yeah, in paper true. houses. Yeah, no one wants. No, but so it, but I I love all these NES Mega Man games. I think they're all great. It was just like I wasn't immediately running out to get this one. This is the first one I didn't do that with. I played it later. I think this is the last one published by Capcom for the NES because any the Nintendo itself took over the duties for the sixth one. Because oh, they did. I didn't know that. Because okay. it was like yeah, because... well into the Super Nintendo era, and it was like kind of too late to put out a sequel to something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I I do like the fact that after you beat napalm man you get his weapon and they abbreviate it to the n-bomb and and i would just like to advise our users (laughs) our listeners never use Mm. n-bomb never 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 drop the n-bomb don't drop it on a podcast and also out this week huzzah jr the young indiana jones chronicles comes out for nes i was the biggest young indiana jones fan there was in 1992, and I had no idea this game existed. Yep. So that shows you what a marketing failure it was. But I played it for the first time, and it is a solid game, uh, with the exception of one game we're going to talk about uh, this week for 1992. That's the theme. All the NES games are like, if this had come out four years earlier, we'd be it'd be making all the best of lists. It came too late. Most people missed it. This is by far the best Indiana Jones game on Nintendo. Yeah, I was going to say, like, Indiana Jones does, doesn't have a great track record as just a, you know, 30-year-old nope. platformer. And this, yeah, might be one of the better-reviewed Indiana Jones games that even exists. Yeah, it's solid. It is a solid, fun game. I wish I knew about it at the time. I would have played the heck out of it. Oh, this is one of those... uh just ill-fated Christmas wishes. God, the Simpsons games are terrible. Why can't they just make a straightforward platformer? They did. The Simpsons, Bartman meets Radioactive Man, and it's somehow even worse than the previous That's Simpsons why game. I said last week, this is the worst Simpson game of all time. It's, it is. There, there's some Game yeah. Boy ones in there, I think. Uh, okay, not counting game, but 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 you're right. This is the this is the worst. Like these games are fucking terrible. Like all this, almost all the Simpsons games are just god awful. And this one, all it has to be is a straightforward platformer, and somehow is so much worse and botches it at every yeah. turn. Yeah, it, it's it's just awkward. Um, you know, it takes about one point five seconds to throw a punch or mm-hmm. a kick, which is an eternity in video game terms. You're mm-hmm. like going, oh, just punch him, Bartman, punch him, Bartman, ah. I don't get how popular Bartman was, Chris. I mean, Hmm. the only time Bartman appeared on The Simpsons at this point was a single brief appearance in Three Men in a Comic Book. That's it. The Bartman comic didn't begin until 1993, a year after this game. But that's but Bartman was so popular. Bartman, ridiculously popular. You when saw the, him everywhere. The Simpsons phenomena took hold so fast, and they only had so much merchandise. That first wave of merchandise is so crude by modern <laughs> Simpsons merchandise standards. I think that Bartman exists in early Simpsons merchandise in almost nowhere else. 
and but everybody I knew had a shirt. I had a corkboard poster that got wet during a Trump rally that I could I had to throw away. But I had a thirty-year-old Bartman corkboard poster for a very long time. Yeah, I think it was. It's way more of a product of the merchandising, and it's not something that comes from the show or even the comic at this point. And then one of a sequel to one of my favorite games that is very good, uh, RC Pro Am Two, the odd Gradius style power up system for isometric racing games that are remote control cars. Very, very good. Significant. Mm. This is a significant improvement over RCA Pro-Am 1. It Mm. just is. The graphics are better. Level design is tighter. And this is the amazing thing to me. Four players. Yep. If you have the multi-tab, which no one I knew had. Because it was the price of a regular. You could have to sacrifice getting a game so your friends can play. Yeah. Yeah, who's doing that? Yeah, but I, I would have loved to play more four-player games yeah. uh, in the NES level. That would have been uh, perfect for, you know, sleepovers and whatever, because at most, at most, you got two-player games, and that was lucky to get mm-hmm. a two-player co-op. But the, all four friends could race in this game. Uh, they have a good leveling system. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was released in, re-released in Rare's 2015 Rare, Rare replay. replay compilation on Xbox. So you can play it there if you want. Yep. I, it's better than the first. It's on Game Pass, if any of you out there are Game Pass members. And then lastly, the Jetsons Cogswell's Caper. Mm-hmm. And this is eh? the the Jets. The Jet, there's two Jetsons and Flintstones games, and they're remarkably solid platforming <laughs> experiences. And this one, I yeah. I want to say, is one of the m- more sought after games for collectors because it was released in short supply at the NE- end of the NES's lifespan. Is good and mm-hmm. uh, can fetch hundreds of dollars uh, complete in box. So. If you got it, yeah. hold on to it. I played it. It's it's another one. If it had came earlier, would be a hit. But no one remembers this. But yep. they should. It's if you like NES platformers, I urge you to look at the '92 and '93 NES games because there's a lot of bangers out there's, there that just. Amazing. And, and I know don't for get any love, I got a couple friends who are going for complete NES thing, which is kind of not something you can ever really do. And this ends up being one of the last ones they end up collecting because of how difficult it is to obtain. So and with that, moving on to music of 1992, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston is still number one. I can try and say that faster next time. Also, uh, in December 23rd to 29th, there's one new release, Changes by Christopher Williams. Just in time for the new year. But we'll close yep. out with... Uh, so I've because there is so little new music and we're at the end of the year, I challenge myself to do only music that is featured in the movies that we are talking about. Yeah. So we do have, yes, the Ice-T and Ice Cube team up for Collab. Trespass that they recorded after they retitled the movie from Looters because that's a bad name. Oh, I want to hear the uncut version of Looters. But we'll have to settle for this version of Trespass taking us out of 1992, but stay right there. 2002, it's going to get kung fu-y. Yeah, a little, little classic-y, so stay right there. I don't need nobody coming in my territory trying to rip a brother off and kill a damn side Take a story. good look, see I'm nothing but a jack. about to fill the rap up a greedy-ass cracker. Now let's know so you know the punk stand out. Coming in my hood with his hand out. Trying to get... Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. (laughs) 
Poll results, Dark, Dark, we watched The Dark Crystal, 1982's The Dark Crystal, directed by Jim Henson and Frank Oz. Hey, let's dispel this. Not a flop. No. I think after the the Jason Siegel Muppets and the original Muppet movie, it is the highest grossing, like, puppet-based film. Yeah, and I think up, up yep. until maybe Team America. Yeah. Team America should be in that conversation, because, like, a bunch oh, of the right. IMDb trivia is like, this is the only live-action movie starring no human beings, and, like, uh... And then they brought up the 2019's The Lion King. Like, why can't we call that an animated film? Like, none of that exists. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. that was all that's drawn. An interesting debate happening right now with. I mean, we're, we're I'm already getting off topic, but with the new Avatar movie, I, I believe there are no like human performances in that movie. Other than motion, motion capture. yeah. Technically, I think that is an animated film. Yeah, that, I'm I'm so but, psyched for that fucking movie. Do you think James Cameron was pissed? He had no one to yell at. <laughs> Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Bobby Valentino. <laughs> you back, son. Hey, uh, yo, Tim, drop the beat for me. Hey, slide over here and talk to the board. What are you drinking? I'm about to ball. I was just thinking of seeing you tomorrow. Waking up with no panties, no bra. I ain't being nasty, I'm just being for real. Let me take off my belt and give you the whip appeal. Yeah, you hear about what I do in the streets, but you gon' love what I do in the sheets. <laughs> Say, baby, what's your story? You got the goodest plain to see. The kind that I keep a brother on his knees. Coming in 2002 with Tell Me by Bobby V, which is from 2005, but samples some music from a movie we'll be talking about in this segment. Ha-ha! Uh, Keeping it all in the family. Mm-hmm. Other new releases include The Genesis by, who oh boy, Ngiwi? Yingwei Malmsteen. Yingwei Malmsteen. <laughs> what? Yingwei? Yes, Yingwei. Lose Yourself by M.M. is still number one. Oh. And for lack of new music releases, we have a ton of stuff to talk about in news. 2002, 20 years ago, December 23rd to the 29th, uh, a MQ-1 Predator is shot down by an Iraqi MiG-25, uh, making it the first time in history that an aircraft and a modern unmanned drone had engaged in combat. The toys was yeah. right! Oh. <laughs> this, is, this is a sign of things to come. There's a expression in the military the last fighter pilot has already been born. Mm. So we are definitely moving away from humans being the prime mover in any air combat. Like it's, it's, it's coming. It's coming fast. The days of the fighter jock are, are not going to be met. Tell that to Top Gun Maverick. Uh, <laughs> also this week, 20 years ago, LinkedIn is founded and has already sent you 50 emails. Oh. <laughs> I, I'm shocked that LinkedIn is older than Facebook or YouTube or Twitter. I, yeah. I, I I am too, but like I just briefly looked at it. Like the 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 networking your business makes way more sense as a thing to start up than networking people for no reason <laughs> on, yeah. online. So like you can see, there's monetary reasons to have wanted to found LinkedIn. Hundred percent, and also businesses are a lot lot more willing to spend money on things mm -hmm. than average people are. You know that's why LinkedIn has premium accounts, and you and uh, Facebook doesn't. Mm -hmm. You know, if I want to be at like the top of uh, searches for jobs, I can just pay LinkedIn money. But if I want my friends to see my post and not their other friends' post, I can't pay Facebook to do that. Oh, okay. And then also... Yet. Yet. 
Twitter, I don't know. It depends by the minute right now. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Um, Who knows? I have, I have two pregnancy things here. One's more depressing than the other. Let's go a little more depressing. Pregnant Modesto woman Lacey Peterson is reported missing. Oh, what oh. was it with the early 2000s and missing white women from Modesto? 18 months before this, it was Chandra Levy, and now we have Lacey Peterson, and this story sucks in every way. She was eight months pregnant, out walking the dog, and that's the last time anybody saw her. And then she's gone, and her husband is acting kind of sketchy. Mm-hmm. But then, like, what is sketchy when you're under this much pressure from the media? Like. Right. Eventually, he dyes his hair. He buys a car in cash, like using his mom's name. It was like, and he's right by he's right by the Mexico border. And it's like that's where his parents live. His parents lived in San Diego. Mm. So, yeah, nonstop coverage of Lacey Peterson. What could have happened to her? She, could she have been kidnapped? It must be the husband. It's always the husband. He was having an affair, so obviously it's the husband. In April, uh, her body and the body of her fetus are eventually found. And Yay. her husband, Scott Peterson, is uh, sentenced to death, which has been commuted to life because we commuted all the death, everyone on death row here in California. California. But mm-hmm. yeah, he's in San Quentin forever now. And there's kind of no evidence. Mm. Like, I definitely do not want to, like, die on the hill of Scott Peterson is innocent. But eh, there's, mo- like, no evidence. But yeah, it sucks. It sucks all around. A more amusing pregnancy antidote, a pregnant Barbie, Midge, is yanked from Walmart. And there was a hilarious line, uh, I think it was Happy Family Times from Barbie. And at some point, her best friend Midge became her oldest friend Midge. So Midge came with a husband and a snap-on pregnant belly that you could squeeze an actual little baby out of. Uh, and that seemed to disturb a bunch of people. And according to the think of the children folks out there was encouraging teen pregnancy and Walmart becomes Uh. the first retailer to pull it right in time for the end of the holiday season. I thought it was hilarious. There's not a ton of information out here on this, but I just think it's hysterical that there was a pregnant Barbie and it was too good to exist for the world. With with a snap on belly and a little fetus, you could come up in there. I'm pretty sure Squeeze there's been up. pregnant Barbies before. Has it? There? I don't know that there has. She was they never son. She wasn't even married. You can't have a baby uh. without being married. That's why all cartoon characters have nephews instead of children. Mm. I'm not kidding. Uh. That is very, very true. Except for I... Goofy, who fucks. Goofy fucks. <laughs> Goofy's widowed. Uh, I I don't get it. Doesn't this help explain to like you're gonna have a little brother or sister? I don't. Yeah. It, I you can do it all. You can also be a zoologist and a lawyer and have a dream house while you're eight months. It pregnant. seems to bizarre bizarre to blame a doll for the encouraging teen pregnancy rather than being a teen. Holy shit! There are things in your bloodstream and brain that make you want to have sex. Not a doll. Not what about baby dolls? Yeah, exactly. Don't baby dolls encourage you to like, oh, I can take care of a baby just fine. This mm-hmm. one pees. Yeah, unbelievable. It's a whole genre of doll or dolls it was. that pee. Baby, uh-oh, I could never forget. And then to bring it in with some uh, decent news, Time's Person of the Year is not a man. It's three people. The Whistleblower, Sharon Watkins of Enron, Cynthia Cooper of WorldCom, and uh, Colleen Raleigh of the FBI. A bunch of people who yeah. blew the whistle on their organization and uh, blew up uh, scandals. I'm, I do not know what the FBI one is. Let us I'm, know, listeners. <laughs> was it just someone who worked with the other ones? Because Enron and WorldCom are like two of the 
biggest financial financial scandals ever. yeah mm-hmm. and uh but yeah the the tattletales have won the day and in this case i'm happy about it i like it when people in these positions snitch um do it do it more often Anyway. Oh, it looks like uh, Cynthia Rowley was one of the people who's warning within the FBI. Dude, there's there's going to be some hijackings. There's going to be some ah. 9-11 shit. Everyone ignored her. Good things we got on top of that. Um, yeah. Listen, hashtag listen to women. Movies of 2002, yeah. uh, December 23rd through 29th. Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers is still number one at the box office. I can only imagine... Because of our conversation we had about it. Yep, hundred um, percent. What did traveled what did, back in time and went? You know this this Lord of the the Rings. What that's did, that's going to be good. What was the text Jared sent you of a uh, '80s and death thing? Thanks for the oh, yeah. bonus he, Lord he of the Rings said, podcast he, in, the, in the middle of 30, 2010. Sorry, we like the movie. <laughs> and speaking of liking the movies, uh, yeah, I have a a passing love of of Jet Li, but like. Oh, you're skipping one. Oh, I am. Sorry. Well, let's get to this first. Uh, we got Josie Davis, Seymour Cassell, Mina Savari, Harry Dean Stanton, Brenda Blethyn, and James Franco in Sunny. The only film directed by Nicolas Cage. Oh, wow. Huh. Is that what oh, all the wonderful clips are from? Or that's his, I think, his nephew directing or something. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The one of him, like, really freaking out. Yes. Yeah, somebody else. Fuck! But, no. <laughs> 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 no, he does have a cameo in this, but this is a story of uh, James Franco plays a guy who gets out of the army, goes home to New Orleans where his mom runs a brothel and wants him to start back up as a gigolo, but he doesn't want to. And then he falls in love with Mina Savari, who's a sex worker. And reviews were not kind. I think it's like a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. I didn't get around to watching it. But, I mean, got to point out, number one, it's the only film directed by Nicolas Cage. There we go. And number two, a big fan of this movie is Tommy Wiseau. He really no. liked James Franco in this and so trusted him with the disaster <laughs> artist. This is the movie he watched to study James Franco? Apparently, Jesus yes. Jesus Christ. So, a, epitome so, of taste that Tommy Wiseau. Uh, yeah. So and fun. As for the transition I was making before, uh, Jet, Jet Li is already kind of a household name in the States and definitely overseas in Eastern countries. And And yet, it takes us two years to get this movie. We don't actually get this movie until 2004, when it is brought over by someone who's going to be in the ad explaining how that happened. Meanwhile, it's like the most expensive movie ever made in China, and it's a massive hit everywhere else. And we don't get it! Yes, I was going to point that out. Like How how long it took for America to discover Jet Li through Lethal Weapon 4... And, yeah. you know, once I started going over to like to parties like Jet Li, all these beautiful wire food Jet Li's, like, this is what this guy does. He's amazing. I love him. Uh, so I de- I'm i with Diane on this. This is a really, really fun one. Uh, Chen Daoming, uh, Zhang Ziyi, uh, Donnie Yen, Maggie Cheng, uh, Tony Long, and Jet Li in Hero. When a ruthless army massacred his people, he swore revenge. He must face three of the kingdom's most deadly assassins and take on the most powerful army ever assembled to make the wrong things right. Quentin Tarantino presents Jet Li. Hero. Rated PG-13 in theaters everywhere. Hero. Brought to us by Quentin Tarantino. And he did very much bother the Weinsteins to 
bring this movie out over here. Thought it had potential. Yeah, yeah and it did. It did very, very well. Mm -hmm. I, it's the first uh, Chinese language film to be number one at the box office. Wow. I don't remember that. In 2004. So, like, am I remembering, was this a longtime passion project of Jet Li? Because I thought I remembered him like, yeah, I kind of want to retire from martial arts and violent films, but he really, what this is like, he wanted to get something like this out first. He eventually, you know, did more action stuff. But like this, I, I thought this was something he really wanted to get made because this is like an expensive epic made oh, yeah. with an American, American-esque budget, which not all, you know, Hong Kong movies are. Well, there, yeah. there's so many extras in this film and they, they use Chinese soldiers that I think China canceled the invasion of Taiwan to make this film. <laughs> it is a, a big, yeah. pretty looking film. It is Stunning looking because it's Zhang Yimou, bitches. Mm -hmm. I will never stop caping for Zhang Yimou. He Get makes him. visually stunning films. Razor Red Lantern, Curse of the Golden Flower, House of Flying Daggers, the 2008 opening to the Beijing Olympics. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. And especially this. This is so visually stunning that I was a little bummed to see that some of the visual effects did not hold up. Really? Well, a little bit, but I mean, it was stuff like, oh, there's 80,000 CGI arrows and they look mm -hmm. a little cartoony, but the wire foo stuff that Hold still up. looks incredible. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. So it kind of laid out the story is there and it's about uh, these two assassins took on 3000 troops trying to kill the emperor and uh, almost got him, but they didn't. And now Jet Li showed up and he's like, I can get those assassins for you and I'll get their buddy. So I'm going to take out these three different assassins, Donnie Yang, Maggie Chung, Tony Lung, who we just talked about Tony Lung in Infernal Affairs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, that's right. I forgot he kicks ass. <laughs> and we just have these magnificent sword battles over and over and over. And it's like, gets so emotional as we try to figure out like, what's Jet Li's actual deal? Like, what's his plan? Like they ration on it. There's yeah. Flashbacks they, within flashbacks, we see the same thing from different perspectives. And they color code your flashbacks. So mm -hmm. this one's red, this one's blue, this one's white. And I think the white is supposed to signify this is as close to the truth as we're ever going to get. Mm. But there's yeah. others' interpretations. Yeah, it is stunning. And it's still like real fun. And like a lot of big Chinese epics, it does end up being sort of a story of nationalism and like why it's good to be a united China. Well, yeah, it's also why it's good to be a tyranny uh, because yeah. this yeah, the is point very of this much is imperialism is good. Like what? Well, yeah, yeah, it's it's everyone should follow the emperor and everyone should obey the emperor. And I'm glad <laughs> you've learned your proper place as a subject of the emperor and you're willing to die for the emperor. And you can't help reading the Chinese Communist Party's thumb on the script of this film. I mean, you don't become the most expensive movie made in China yep. unless the CCP says, yes, this yep. is a good message we want everyone to know. And there's a lot that you could unpack here, and there's a lot of changes they make. Uh, for example, uh, in the translation I saw, they said, Tien Zi means our land. Mm. It doesn't. Yeah. What it actually means is, everything under heaven because ancient china just like ancient rome literally wanted to conquer the world 
that was their both Rome and ancient China's goal was world conquest. They just didn't know how big the world was. They both thought we've conquered the good parts of the world and we'll get around to conquering what remains eventually. That was their ideology. They both had it. And by making it our land, it's a lot more palpable to American audiences than the hero saying, ah, I did this so that we can conquer everything under the sky. <laughs> yeah, that's so weird that when I saw it in theaters, the translation was our land. And the version I rented was everything under heaven. And I was like, but I remember it being our land. I mean, that, that simple idea of like, we shouldn't have, because this is literally the warring states period. We shouldn't have states warring. We should just all be together. P.S. under one emperor. Kind of got to disagree with you on that. But <laughs> but it's so pretty. Yeah, you get yeah. that pretty much every big movie out of China is going to have a little bit of underlying propaganda in it. Like the Ip Man movies and Once Upon a Time in China. Those all fucking roll. But, but I understand the little, there's a theme running through them about yeah. how great China is and how bad everyone else is imperialist running dogs. But, uh, but this film, fucking recommend though. Yeah. It, it goes for the strategy of every frame is a picture. Every frame is gorgeous. Yeah. This is an incredible film despite, you know, just roll your eyes at the proper points at the message, but still enjoy it because it is a beautiful film and it's wushu. So, the characters aren't really people so much as they are mythic archetypes. And you've got to go in there with that thing. You can't be like, well, that person couldn't really cut through iron with their sword and take on a thousand soldiers. They're superheroes. Okay. That's yeah. what yeah, they're, superheroes. They're, they're superheroes. Yeah. They can fly. They, when they get, yeah. they pull out their sword and the wind goes crazy because they're superheroes. <laughs> yeah. You know why? Cause it looks cool. It That's looks why cool. they can run on water. Cause it looks cool. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Calm down. Yeah. But a hearty yeah, recommend for me as hearty, well. Yeah. Big yeah. recommend with an asterisk. And as just as you're remembering them praising this emperor who unified China, remember that he also went on to burn as much previous literature as possible in a quest oh. for immortality. Uh, and then he took mercury pills because he literally wanted to become a god. <laughs> it didn't work. Ooh. Mercury doesn't work like that. Doesn't <laughs> work like that well damn now you tell me did not ex i expect that he was ceased and the emperor still with us still in control yeah uh, but uh yeah and fantastic score by tan dun who's a chinese composer who's only done a, a couple scores uh this and crouching tiger hidden dragon are really mm. the, the, the two big ones and that's what we heard sampled uh, at the beginning in that mm. bobby v song yeah right and i, and I don't want to beautiful i don't want to harp on this too much but we have been aware of the problems of one man rule for literally thousands <laughs> of years. You can go back thousands of years and people are writing treaties saying, you know, I really don't think it's necessarily that great that one man has all the power. But modern China today, Z has done that. He, he has uh, got pretty much all the power back in his hands and we can see how well that works for them. I don't think it's going to work out well. No, it's not going to work out well. Yeah, because you have to enforce it with a fuck ton of violence. Yeah. And that's how you keep everyone under control. Yeah. All right. Politics aside, hero. Politics aside, it's a good recommend. Amazing. Amazing film. See it on the biggest screen you have. Don't watch it on your yeah. phone. Come on. Give yeah. the man a break. 
I wish they'd re-release this, you know, yeah. in theaters. I looked, Ugh. it's not, it, it, they're not doing like the 20th anniversary anywhere near me, but if they are, see it in a big theater. Yeah, because I, yeah. I, I had to watch it at home in standard definition. That's the main reason I watched it again once I could see it in high definition. Uh, yeah, there's no again. 4K yet. It's screaming for a 4K. Mm. I mm -hmm. think there was a Blu-ray and it might be out of print now. Damn. If you can't get a Blu-ray, definitely get a Blu-ray. Okay. Um, and then... A movie I saw, I think, like less than a year ago, shoot to the top of Netflix, yet released 20 years ago, um, as has happened sometimes. James Brolin, Amy Adams, Natalie Bay, uh, Matt Sheen, uh, Martin Sheen, uh, Christopher Walken, Tom Hanks, and Leonardo DiCaprio in Steven Spielberg's Catch Me If You Can. Frank Abagnale Jr. had a life any man would envy. I'm a pilot. I'm a doctor. I'm getting back into law. The only problem was... Special Agent Henry, FBI. None of it was true. Your son is fudging checks. Just tell me how much yours and I'll pay you back. $1.3 million. Leonardo DiCaprio. I'd like to take you out for a steak dinner. <laughs> Tom Hanks. I love my job. In a film by Steven Spielberg. Hey! Catch me if you can. Rated PG-13. Yeah, one of my... Kind of one of my favorite Spielberg team seems to make two two types of movies, like big genre films and period pieces. And this is just like all the crowd pleasingness of an E.T. or close encounters with a period piece. Just a small story, which I I don't know. Spielberg usually deals with Holocaust and uh, whatever the fuck <laughs> Munich was Munich uh, War of the World. World of the World. Yeah, like shit like that. And this is a a smaller story than I'm used to him telling, but it's transfixing and beautiful to look upon a, a really great period piece. Catch me if you can. The story of yeah. Frank Abagnale, uh, master uh, early con artist, like international con artist as a teenager. Yep. Amazing. Yep. And I, the fun thing is it's all lies. This mm. is adapted from his book, which was all lies. A ghostwriter did some of the lying and he did some of the lying. He was a con artist. He was arrested many, many, many times. He did a lot of crazy shit. But he did not pretend to be a doctor for an entire year. Mm. He did not pass the Louisiana bar. He's a liar who's lying about lying. <laughs> wow. And... He has pulled a conception. Yeah. <laughs> he is pulling a con about being a con artist. And yep. he made bank out of yeah, it. Yeah, like like he made incredible bank like out the, of the it. Like the gong show guy before him and uh Jordan Belfort's getting a movie yeah. getting that movie money. Ugh, one last yeah, time. exactly. And reality. Right. Ignore it. But that's the thing. It doesn't matter because it makes a really good movie. Just don't think that it's truth, but it makes a really good movie because I'm going to throw out two things right here. Well, um, let me get to him in a second. First of all, we talked about Leonardo DiCaprio last week with Gangs of New York, where mm -hmm. a lot of people thought he was miscast and he does OK here. No one else could play this. Yeah, he is so perfectly yeah. cast as someone who. He could be 16. He could be 27. Yeah. I don't know. He's really charming. A handsome teenager the... banging people 10 years older than him. I can see it with Leonardo DiCaprio. He's the perfect romantic outlaw in this mm -hmm. film. He's yep. a kid, yeah. so we don't really blame him fully for this. He's just feeling his way out in the world. He's personable. He's cheerful. And he lives the lie until it becomes the reality. I mean, this is such a great exploration of what do we expect from other people and how much do we just judge the surface? I mean, you deal with so many people every day. You have to make uh, shorthand mental thinking like clothes making the person. Yeah. If I mm -hmm. see you in 
raggedy clothes. Uh, they look bad. I'm not going to assume you're rich, although there are plenty of rich people who dress grungy. If you're dressed in an immaculate outfit, my mental thing goes click. Okay, they must be someone of importance. And if I well, see you in a pilot outfit, there is no way in hell I'm going to go, I should really think hard if this person is a pilot or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's very good at projecting authority. And, mm -hmm. and people just, uh, okay, I'll just, sure. No, I guess you're right about that. Yep. And projecting authority and confidence. And, oh, could you cash this check? Oh, come on. It just... Yeah, I know I should have cashed it before, but, you know, I got to fly to Vegas tonight. Yeah, this doesn't have a toy Pan Am sticker on it. It's legit. No, it's bona fide. No. All right. Now, here's the two things I want to put out that are going to be controversial. Number one, this is a Christmas movie. Yeah, sure. Is it? We see, we see like five Christmases yeah. in this movie. That's how you can tell time is progressing. Mm -hmm. Every year goes by. We see the characters at Christmas. Yeah. First, it's the happy Christmas with his parents, Christopher Walken, who is so good in this yeah. people it, forget that he is a good actor even 20 20 years funny. ago he's playing like a, a put upon father which was not something he was being with zero intensity yeah. just sadness and puppy yeah. dog sadness but trying so hard to project success mm -hmm. that he teaches his son it's okay to lie and justify the means mm -hmm. so i mean it starts with the happy christmas and we see lonely christmases we see at christmas he goes and sees his mom is remarried and has a new family yeah, we see, I think it's five Christmas. He calls Tom Hanks as the FBI agent going after him. On Christmas. On Christmas mm -hmm. for a couple of years in a row. And Tom Hanks is like, why are you calling me? Oh, wait, you're calling me because you have nobody. Because mm -hmm. you're alone. Now, here's the more controversial thing I'm going to say. This is a better Peter Pan movie than Hook. Wow, um, okay. Explain. He wants to have fun. Mm -hmm, and right. be able to get away with what grown-ups get away with, but zero responsibility. Mm -hmm. He is perpetually pretending to be a grown-up to get away with stuff the kids like. Mm. He just buys fancy cars and dresses up like James Bond. It's fun, but he wants no responsibilities. And when he starts to take on responsibilities, he, he runs away. Yeah. Like, they say he stole $4 million. What is he spending it on? He's not buying a house. He did buy a house. Uh, fancy no. clothes. Fancy, no, he rented stuff. Mm. Fancy cars. You know, fun, fun, fun. You're yeah, right. He's not, and he's not paying for air travel because he's pretending to be a pilot and just getting to ride on planes for freezies. So, yeah, I think it's about society telling him to grow up and him refusing to. And then when we get to the end where he has to have a job and show up at an office every day, mm -hmm. he loses his fucking mind. Yeah. Yes, yes, there, yes. that's my take. It's did, a Peter did, Pan movie. Did he end up working for the FBI then? That, that, that's part of the story. I a bit. Okay. Yeah, but he, he did become a consultant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Teaching uh, banks and stuff how to uh, prevent fraud. That yes. part yeah. somewhat is true. Somewhat, and he uh, worked for the FBI uh, for like 30 years after his court order to do so ended. Mm. Yeah. So maybe he, yeah, but... maybe he had better benefits than we ever will. Then... <laughs> He's probably in that union. Hey. But uh, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. For... This, this is one that's like, I have fond memories. I thought it was pretty fun. Rewatch it. And I'm like, this is one of Spielberg's yeah, best movies. Yeah, it's fucking great. 
And yeah. why, why is this underrated? It's always like, charming to see like a, a movie so like this good. come to Netflix in the modern era and just like shoot ahead of everything else. And I remember looking at the top 10, like number one, catch me if you can in 2021, 2022. Like I, and then I'm like, huh, I haven't seen this in a while. I'm like, okay, now I know why. Like even kids are discovering like, this is really fun. And how can you not sort of want to be like Leonardo DiCaprio, like uh, yeah. for the young what? folks? Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Why not scamming yeah, your way exactly. into wealth and luxury? The person I feel bad for in this movie is Amy Adams because mm-hmm. she's so good because mm-hmm. she's Amy Adams. And she got she's mentioned in a bunch of reviews of like, oh, this newcomer, Amy Adams, we haven't she's only got a small part and drop dead gorgeous. And that's about it. Um, and she got all this grid notice and she got no work for like a couple of years. She had to go back to waiting tables. Yeah. And she almost quit acting. Really? Wow. Yeah. We almost lost Amy Adams. This is the first I time I remember seeing Elizabeth Banks so as well. Oh yeah, she pops up for like half a second. She's yeah. so funny. Yeah. Can't wait. Can't wait for Cocaine Bear. But yeah, I think this is a pretty decent <laughs> <laughs> recommend from all of us, right? Catch Which you. I'm sure is going to be as accurate as this film. Yes, based oh, on a true yeah. story. It is based on a true story. Based on a true That's story. True. A man my size and hairiness getting cocaine. Someone <laughs> calling him a bear. Catch me if you can. Yeah. Strong recommend, I think, from from Big all recommend. of us. Um, yeah. 2002 television, December 23rd to the 29th. I meant to rewatch this because I find the first one incredibly charming. Robbie the Reindeer, Legend of the Lost Tribe. Uh, so he finds a tribe of lost Vikings, you know? Uh, Very Christmassy. Yeah, yeah, well, it's, it, it's, it's been done before with, like, Native Americans. It's like, hey, off in Canada, there's this tribe of undiscovered Native Americans. What if they were found in the present day? I forget the name of the movie, but it was a Hollywood mm-hmm. film. And here you do that with Vikings, Okay. The well, the first Robbie the Reindeer is very charming. I'm going to guess this aired on Christmas Eve or Christmas, as it tends to do in England. I think it's partially charitable. I'm trying to remember who. I had the DVD of the Ben Stiller voiced Robbie the Reindeer, but they the chat the cast is all high level English actors in uh, the original production. But I don't know if they did that for the sequel because it's the sequel of the original Robbie the Reindeer. Um, and then also this week we have the Kennedy Center Honors. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor, Paul Simon, Chita Rivera, James Levine, a pianist and composer, and of course, James Earl Jones, the man who sold his voice to Disney just this year. Good for Literally him. sold his Sold voice. the likeness to his voice. Wow. I, I really wish they had like someone in Ursula outfit come out with like a scroll <laughs> from the little mermaid it's sign here all we want is your voice there should have been more pageantry to it but uh yeah. Yeah. and we we lost the voice of ursula this year so yeah yeah we still had her then could have done it there's a great disney attraction where you can voice a, a character and she's the host because she helped steal your voice and put it into a disney character oh. i forget where it is in lander world uh but as for games couldn't find any couldn't find any. It's not a great week to release games in general. Yeah, we, we can't fudge it like we did with the NES games. You know, in mm-hmm. 2002, you have definite for sure dates. You have um, hard data and you have games with significant marketing campaigns that are supposed to get people in before the week of Christmas. And it kind of yeah. goes dark during that period. So no one wants to release anything during this period. And if they do, it means they kind of have no faith in the game. And then why don't we close this segment out with the main theme from Catch Me If You Can by John Williams? Because that one of the best oh, things about the movie is the opening sequence. It's oh, just it's so thrilling. Cool. Yeah, it's very I, cool. I love John Williams getting back to 
back to jazz. Mm -hmm. It's just like, I, I get to be jazzy? Oh, hell yeah, I'm going to be jazzy. Get the vibraphone! Yeah, and if I, I can't say it enough. It feels like one of those Spielberg movies in between, one of the ones I'm looking forward to, yet this surpasses a lot of those. I'd rather watch this than Minority Reports and uh, War of the Worlds. Good on Catch Me If You Can. So we'll send you out with a little slice of that action, but stay right there. Oh my God, there is some Stone Cold Classics to talk about in 2012. I like the way you die, audience. We'll see you in a second. Hello, fellow nerf herders. Did you not like Last Jedi, Rise of the Skywalker, or would you just prefer a majority of Star Wars fans take a slow walk into a volcano? What I'm saying is, are you sick of Star Wars? Well, I thought I was, but my co-host Jeremy and Adam beg to differ. Except when they don't. Get ready for a whole lot of love, a whole lot of hate, and a whole lot of geeky therapy in our new series, Sick of Star Wars with a Big Giant Question Mark, exclusively available at patreon.com slash laser time. Here's a little taste. My funky. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about Empire Strikes Back. Uh, here's a little bit of a teaser trailer from 1979. Luke Skywalker and Han Solo rescued the princess, destroyed the Death Star, but their story didn't end there. So can you tell who the narrator is? Dude, it, it sounds like a, a powdered toast man, like a reader. That's what's so crazy <laughs> about it, because the narrator is Harrison Ford. Is it really? Yeah, he's just doing like, no a, what, like, a, like a radio. Yeah, it's the most enthusiastic performance I've ever heard from Harrison yeah, Ford ever, in my ever. life. Uh, but it's but you can hear it. Listen. Now the creators of the biggest smash hit of all time bring you the next episode in the Star Wars saga: The Empire Strikes Back. The, the title it is the that's, title that's, was huh. the title Empire Strikes Back was I think leaked as early as 1978. It sounds like. My wife listens to podcasts on 1.25 speed. Oh, it sounds like it. I can't either. It sounds like chipmunks <laughs> to me. That's what it sounds like. Oh, that's sick of Star Wars. Available exclusively at patreon.com slash laser time, along with weekly bonus shows, over 100 movie commentaries, exclusive bonus podcasts, and more for just five bucks. And that's in addition to the brand new show, Sick of Star Wars, an angst-ridden podcast saga told in nine parts. Listen long and prosper. This is so wizarding. internet and all the ships at sea it's time for diana's classic corner we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching and this week oh man we have such variety for you hanging out at the holidays first up 90 years ago again 1932 with the december releases of horror movies i don't understand why but uh, a solid one influential one island of lost souls come out from 1932 starring Charles Lawton, Bela Lugosi, still probably the best adaptation of Island of Dr. Moreau, even though, my God, they've tried a couple times. <laughs> it's pretty spooky. I'll, I'll give them that. Then 75 years ago this week, 1947-ish, because it's an Orson Welles movie and it takes forever for these things to actually get released because of funding troubles. But Lady from Shanghai came out, which is one of the best noirs. Oh, man. Lady from Shanghai, outstanding, starring... Orson Welles, his wife, Rita Hayworth at the time, uh, Everett Sloan, who is also in uh, Susan Kane, And it's about a couple that's got some problems and then and maybe there is Mordor and they're on a boat. 
And then they're in San Francisco, and there's a big showdown at the end at what used to be an amusement park in San Francisco called Playland at the Beach. Big ending in this maze of mirrors that's been ripped off a jillion times. Original is the best. Lady from Shanghai. It's one of those where it's like, I always heard it was good. And then I watched it and I was like, well, why have I been denying myself all this time? Damn, that was, that was great. And 70 years ago this week, uh, a movie that exists just to annoy people, Moulin Rouge, no exclamation point from 1952, which is a biopic of Toulouse-Lautrec starring Jose Ferrer. Yeah, he's walking around on his knees to play a little person, but really good performance. You really end up caring so much about Lautrec. Like, I went and got a biography of Lautrec after I watched this because I was like, wait, really? <laughs> is, that, is that really what his life was like? Yeah, directed by John Huston. Zsa uh, Zsa Gabor is in there. There's a bunch of can-can dancing. It's really cool. Then a movie I really hope you have watched. 60 years old this week from 1962 is To Kill a Mockingbird. One of the best adaptations ever. And the fact that it was a very recent adaptation, that book came out in 1960. And by 1962, they're putting out a movie and they freaking nail it. Gregory Peck, obviously, Little Mary Batum as the kid. Breck Peters that I think came up last week. Um, Robert Duvall for half a second. Just a, a beautifully, sensitively made story from a kid's point of view about racism and realizing your parents are people and maybe they're flawed and I, what can i say like there's nothing i can say to kill a mockingbird both the book and the movie are absolute classics for a freaking reason and then 40 years ago this week speaking of tom hanks we have a fun one mazes and monsters which is a cheap goofy movie about how dungeons and dragons will make you go insane and try to throw yourself off a building they are and this was a light inspiration for my film, Dark Dungeons. Before Dark Dungeons, this was like one of the most quoted anti-D&D films of all time. And we, we do homage to it in Dark Dungeons and take a couple of lines word for word. Spells, monsters, dungeons. Yeah, but it's all in the imagination. Is it? <laughs> so think on that, listeners. Is it? Is it really? Is think it on really? that, won't you? It is Tom Hanks' first lead role. He is 26. Yeah, spoiler alert, Twin Towers are in there. <laughs> Which, oh, that adds to it. But oh my God, it's so goofy. It does take me back to Satanic Panic Days, which we're kind of back in, in our own way. And uh, the, I the miss, thing the, is miss a, the devil worship part and not the child trafficking part. The thing about mazes and monsters is it really undercuts its entire central thesis. Tom Hanks is shown to have a good social network and pre-existing mental health problems. And then he's playing Dungeons and Dragons or whatever they call it in the film. And none of his friends have problems. It's only the guy with pre-existing mental health problems who goes off the deep end but all the other people are fine. It's just a fun little thing for them. So it, it really doesn't help its central thesis because the only one who is hurt is the guy that was already in a bad spot before he started playing. So it doesn't it, really show you. Yeah, it didn't have to be D&D. &D. He could have gotten made insane by basketball and convinced that he's Dr. J. Yep, could have <laughs> happened. And then he gets arrested trying to break into a Sixers game. Yeah, makes sense. Could happen. Anyway, 
Yep, that's that's your lineup for the week. They're all over the place. Moulin Rouge, Island Lady from Shanghai, To Kill a Mockingbird. Hell, Road to Rio and Days of Wine and Roses also came out <laughs> this week, but uh, I want to highlight them a lot less than Lady from Shanghai and To Kill a Mockingbird. And yeah, for kitschy fun, Mazes and Monsters. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. And if I say to you tomorrow Take my hand, child, come with me It's to a castle I will take you Where what's to be, they say, will be I guess the wind see it's been sail away Leave the day way up high in the sky Coming in with what is and what should never be by Led Zeppelin to bring us into 2012, December 23rd to the 29th. Diana, there's got to be an explanation. There's uh, two explanations. One, we'll get to the Kennedy Center honors. Mm -hmm. And the other is that they don't license their music for movies very much at all. And when they do, it is notable. And there is a really good frightening scene from one of the movies we're going to talk about that is scored by what is and what should never be. Mm. And it's also one of my favorite Zeppelin songs. So and deal the, with it. The only other new release to speak of is Fularin by Wale. Wale? Wale. Yeah, I don't know. The Lock That I Have by Bruno Mars is still number one. A little bit of news to bring you to the What of a World 2002, December 23rd to 29th, 10 years ago, 2012. 2012, I might have said that wrong. NASA unveils plan to capture a 500-ton asteroid in 2025, and it's going... Nope, got canceled. Oh, what? I I brought this up because NASA has a frequent pattern of unveiling awesome, cool plans that are going to happen one to five decades from now, and then quietly shelving them five years after they make the announcement. Uh, and also this week, Vladimir Putin, uh, Uncle P, he signs into a law to ban the U.S. adoption of Russian children. Mm. Oh, this is such a cut-off-your-nose-to-spite-your-face type of thing. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So this was in Russia. It's called the Dima Yakovlev Law. A young Russian boy was adopted by Americans who unfortunately left him in a hot car. Don't mm. ever do that, parents. He died. Oh, it's no. 100% a human tragedy. But there have been around 60,000 successful adoption cases yeah. from Russia since the fall of the Soviet Union. And if you have one tragedy, you know, that doesn't mean the other 60,000 are just invalid and should stop. I mean, Russia's in 2012 and probably more so in the future, still a very poor society, still not great about taking care of those in need. Uh, so a lot of people just were in the process of adopting Russian kids, and it was just like, no, you get to live in a utterly underfunded uh, Russian orphanarium That's instead of going to. Not like America. we have, are the only country where people die and kids die in hot cars. But I wonder yeah. if there's a nationalist slant to this at all. Anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to put words in Russia's mouth. Yeah, it, it, it was. It was done in reaction to the U.S. doing sanctions against various Russian. But you can't have any of our babies. For human rights. Yeah. Violations. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Yep. Oh, you you punish our millionaires, we punish our own children. Ha ha, take that. Uh, enjoy breadline. Pretty much. Uh, I did have fun reading about this. NBC correspondent David Gregory violates Washington D.C. gun laws on the air. Was this another with the... one? Yeah, and the second one in the same week. Again, the law is crystal clear on this. The NBC News Department contacted their lawyers before they did this. The lawyers said, "This is illegal. We strenuously advise you to not do it." <laughs> they did it. Mm. And they got away with it. So uh, if you are ever in any legal trouble whatsoever, I strenuously advise you to be rich and famous. That is the best legal advice you will ever get. Yeah. Good medical advice, too. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, and then. So a news correspondent violates DC gun laws on the air, but so many of the January Sixers specifically put their guns outside of town. So that, like, okay, we'll storm the place, but if they start shooting, we'll go get our guns. Was the question of the size of the clip, is that what he violated? Am I, or was I misreading another it, story? It was just an illegal gun uh, well, magazine, I, I believe. Yeah, the size of the clip. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, under Title Seven of the DC Code. Uh, we all knew it was Title Seven of the gun code. Yeah. Obviously, we're all responsible gun owners. Uh, <laughs> and then rounding I out. I use mine as a bottle opener. Yes. I use mine as a Elvis TV tuner. And uh, rounding out our time person of the year. Time person of the year goes to Barack Obama, the Democratic winner of the... I think the same reason as Clinton. We didn't talk about it at the beginning of the year, and then he was a household name by the end of the year, and then president. But he ran for re-election. This wasn't him getting elected in 2008. This was him winning re-election. So I guess it's just like the the black guy wasn't a fluke? here's Here's what I remember hearing when he won, when he was up, he won re-election. Wasn't that about the time he's like, "Oh yeah, I support gay marriage." Had the whole time. Sorry, I didn't mention it. Uh, yeah. Well, and- the thing is, Obama was on record before he was running as for president. Yeah, I support gay marriage. And then once he started running for president, he States was rights. no. Actually, I, I've never supported gay marriage. What about this quote that you said? States rights. States rights. And then once he won re-election, he was like. Yeah, that quote was accurate. Yeah. yeah. And, and and then I think yeah. a couple of other things. Loved hearing him give it to the media. There is kind of a nice thing that happens when a president doesn't have to run for re-election where, like, the gloves gently come off. Who knows what would happen with the previous president? We're like, yeah, I don't have to say this anymore. Like, we can all really talk about these situations. Uh, I'm not running for anything. Neat. So maybe yeah. that's part of it. I don't. I honestly don't remember. I was paying very little attention to anything outside of the movies, TV, and video games of the week, music of the week, uh, such as the movies. We get in the movies of 2012, uh, the 23rd through the 29th of December. John dies at the end with Chase uh, Williamson, Rob Mays, Paul Giamatti, Clancy Brown, Glenn Thurman, and Doug Jones. Yeah, Don Coscarelli joint. Yes, based on the book by David Wong, aka Jason Pargan. Um, I like this. He's written a bunch of books and they are really fun. If you like, uh, say, Douglas Adams, sort of like funny sci fi ish stuff, the movie adaptation is sort of like, it's okay. Yeah. You know, it's one of those where, like, because a lot of the humor's in the language that it's just sort of better as a book. But this has definitely built a cult since, since it actually came out. It's because yeah. it is very goofy. It's about like slackers having to deal with like, zombies and interdimensional travel and just random shit happening to them. And it's extremely silly. Kind so of a, I, like it's a lie I, recommend? 
but it's a heavy recommend for me. Oh, I, you liked I it. Liked, okay, cool. Did like it. I liked how crazy nutsoid it was because I went in <laughs> not knowing anything except well, they obviously spoiled the, the ending of this film. <laughs> um, but the degree of craziness, I don't know if I was just in the right mood, but it really appealed to me as like. Well, if the supernatural was ever actually real, it would probably be so crazy that we'd barely comprehend it. You know, normally when you deal with the supernatural in the movies, it's just like, ooh, it's a creature. It, it, it's passing through walls. Nothing could blow my mind more than that. And John dies <laughs> at the end, just, you know, plays around with time travel, other dimensions, weird stuff happening all the time. It was a fun, fun watch for me. I actually give it a recommend. Mm. All right. Yeah, I'm, I was like on the fence. I think it's one of those where I like the book more. But it's fair. I mean, of course, it's going to be weird. Like I said, Don Coscarelli, he's the Bubba Hotep guy. Mm -hmm. He makes weird shit. Indeed. So it was a good fit, at least as a filmmaker. Indeed. So, yay. All right. Oops. All recommends continue. <laughs> Next up, we have West of Memphis. Okay. Let's talk about the saddest story that ever happened. It, because uh, everyone loses. Because it's about the West Memphis Three. Mm -hmm. Um produced and co-starring Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh about, um, huh. well, three little eight-year-old boys were murdered in uh, Arkansas. Damien Nichols, Mark Byer. I have watched Paradise Lost so many fucking yeah. times. Oh, my God. Yeah. And uh, three local, you know, dirtbags, teenage dirtbags were, were arrested Metal and heads. charged with it. Uh, one of them gave the weakest false confession you've ever fucking heard mm -hmm. and they all went to prison and it's about following up after paradise lost and paradise lost 2 because at this point it's been 20 years we're going to talk about well no no the, there's a paradise the lost 3 as well like the, this the reason right. why this documentary is a good thing is because it brought it to light yet again and reached way more people in a modern era and i think this is what got their sentences commuted like almost single-handedly well, they were filming when that happened. Okay. Okay. Then, oh, shit. I'm... Yeah. They, they, they were digging into this and they were talking about, like, yes, there have been these HBO documentaries that brought mm -hmm. it to light very early on and, you know, building this movement of, like, these kids didn't do it. This is satanic panic again. Like, yeah. there is zero evidence. Now, also, it's time has passed. We have DNA now. Can we start testing stuff? Can we get these guys exonerated? What can we do? We got Eddie Vedder is there and Johnny Depp is there and Natalie Maines from the Chicks is there and, mm -hmm. you know, putting on concerts. Henry Rollins is like talking about a concert and a guy comes up and is like, Hey man, that West Memphis three concert was the best concert ever did. It's like priorities, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, giving it the, the bigger overall picture after the, the smaller documentaries and leading up to the end where like they take an Alfred plea and they're out of prison yep. and they, but why they have to take that plea still guilty. <laughs> going back to trial mm -hmm. is because now they can't sue the state for 18 years wrongful imprisonment. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a really good documentary, especially talking about the effect that the other documentaries had on the case. Yeah. And mm -hmm. how like Paradise Lost 2 really focuses on that one stepdad, John Mark Byers, mm -hmm. and how guilty he looks. And it's the <laughs> best, also... it's the best fucking superhero wrestling face turn I've ever seen. <laughs> the guy you think had done it in the first movie yeah. becomes the biggest advocate. Uh, for these, the West Memphis Three. I love that yeah. guy. Yeah, it was really interesting to see him over time. Major content warning on this, though. Yeah. They show you crime scene photos with dead bodies of children. Yeah. 
you can't see their face, but I had never seen that before in previous documentaries, and I was pretty they horrified. Did, they did it in the Paradise Lost docs, so it was kind of consistent with. I those. don't remember seeing the bodies before. Man. I mean, it was it's, it was and it was oh also God. those are standard deaf documentaries, except for the last one. Oh God, it's really rough. But yeah, West of Memphis is, especially if you don't know anything about that case, it's yeah. it's definitely a good place it's, to start. It's, it's a, a good overview. It's in it as yeah, and cut to now. I think my my friend met Damien Nichols like a week ago, mm. out and about, wow. like unbelievable. Um, pretty neat. Uh, whew, how do I transition into this? Yeah, but God damn, yeah, <laughs> we're coming up on thirty years since those murders. We're going to talk about them next year. Wow. For 93 and um we still haven't caught the guy and it yeah fucking sucks. well i think they have a good idea who did it it's just no one they, wants to prosecute yeah. um and then moving on to shit i think one of the the oscar favorites <laughs> uh we mm -hmm. got chris tucker in a very rare non-rush hour performance uh julia styles jackie weaver robert de niro jennifer lawrence and bradley cooper in david o russell's silver linings playbook has anything ever made you snap? You lost your wife. I'm getting engaged. You lost your house. Get in the house. Stop talking about all the stuff that's good for you and bad for him. Has anyone? Hey, Tiffany's Pat. Ever made you snap out of it? Hey! Whoa, why don't you run somewhere else? Calm down, crazy. You taking the proper medication? Happy. Taking a little bit too many. Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, Robert De Niro, and Chris Tucker. Black it up, Pat. What's that mean? You know damn well what it means. Black it up. Silver Linings Playbook. Window. <laughs> Rated R. Silver Linings Playbook, a movie I, oh boy. I, I, okay. I enjoyed uh, the first time I saw it and less so in subsequent viewings. Uh, do you have much experience with bipolar people? I do now. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. And, and just that's the credit me, I, I gave the, the movie is it's so jarring to watch this couple that you too, as a viewer, feel very much <laughs> like... I'm on a, a manic crash course with these people. This is really difficult to watch. Uh, and yeah, I think I had some experiences that colored, I can't really watch this movie and get any entertainment out of it again. That mm -hmm. is a big part of it. I would call this one of, if not the best portrayal of bipolar people yeah. I've seen in cinema. And it's not easy to be around bipolar people at all, mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. a little bit. So if you don't want to be around them, you're not going to really want to watch a movie about them. Didn't say but that, it is but... <laughs> a segment of the population that exists. Mm -hmm. They deserve to have movies made out about them. And it can also be a lens that people dealing with bipolar people can look at and kind of give some perspective. Because when you're in the trenches, mm -hmm. when you're dealing with that crap, it feels like you're drowning. And to mm -hmm. get a little outside perspective, I think can be useful. Yeah. I think my only complaint about its depiction of someone with bipolar disorder is we we see the manic phases and we hear about the intrusive thoughts and um, delusional thoughts and, and things that trigger someone to just freak out. We never see the crippling depression downswing. Yeah. Like there's never a point where he doesn't get out of bed for a week. He's storing his urine in a jar because he can't move. But yeah. for the for showing someone being manic, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Got a great idea. We're going to do this. It's great. Yeah, Don't get in my way. I, just, I have it all figured out. For me, this is a weird Oscar Best Picture nominee that doesn't hold up anymore because of hmm. how authentic I thought it was in the beginning. And that's, that's you know, through both 
you know, personal and impersonal mental health issues. It just, I, I guess I just, in the last 10 years, I, I can't think of another sure film. Hey, all, all credit in the world to that. It's just like, I, I can't, I couldn't find the funny again. And mm. Oh, I never thought it was supposed to be funny. Well, there's some there's... funny, um, you I... know, I like when he's reading a farewell to arms, he gets to the end. Who's like, what the fuck? And throws it out a window and starts ranting about it. I yeah, and he laugh. says the author owes his parents a new broken window, and they're like, <laughs> "We'll be sure to get Ernest Hemingway to give us an apology." Yeah, he's been dead I, for a hundred years. Yeah, but um, yeah. So Silver Lang's playbook is about uh, Bradley Cooper plays a guy in West Philadelphia, born and raised, who has come out of a mental institution because he caught his wife with another woman and almost beat the guy to death. He's bipolar. He doesn't want to take his meds. He has delusional thoughts trying to and he's convinced that he can get his wife back and everyone's telling him she's gone mm -hmm. and no and somewhere along the line he meets up with jennifer lawrence whose husband has just died in an accident and she also has a lot of issues mm -hmm. with regulating her emotions but in different ways and then she uh tricks him into joining her in a dance contest <laughs> Meanwhile, his dad, Robert De Niro, who is real good in this, I think, mm -hmm. um, he's um, he has OCD and you start to see like he can't relate to his son's mental illness, even though he has a lot of mental illness issues himself. Mm -hmm. Like he really thinks that, you know, if you hold the remotes a certain way, then the Eagles will beat the spread. Go Eagles. And I, I think it's one of Robert De Niro's. Least embarrassing major roles in a very, very long time before Incense. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he's just and very Jackie good Weaver as, as the mom, uh, as an Australian actress, she's freaking fantastic in it. Uh, Chris Tucker's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's interesting because it's half, pretty much half the movie is the character study stuff. And then the other half is kind of getting into the dance contest stuff, which you think is going to be like super triumphant. And it's not really, it's just sort of incidental. Mm. which i forgot about how like no this is not dirty dancing like they fuck it up that's kind of the point yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter because at least they're doing something they're focusing on a thing to accomplish it which is kind of the structure they need at that moment ends up being the point and there's no big speech about like we all have our own silver lining <laughs> that we're searching for <laughs> even though i counted he says silver linings four or five times mm. in like the first half an hour of the movie and then it stops I was so fucking glad because I hate when they do that so much. Yes, please tell me the point of your movie. God. But Diana, you know, don't you ever just look back on 30, 20, 10 years ago in your life and just wonder what you were doing back then? I mean, uh... 30, 20, and 10 are big ages for anyone because <laughs> 30, 20, and 10 were also important decades that we must think about. <laughs> Mm. And 30, 20, 10 are all based <laughs> in numbers. <that> I... <laughs> you know, a lot of life is divisible by five. <laughs> but the important yeah. days are divisible by 10. 30, well, 20, and 10. Yeah, no, Silver Linings Playbook, it's one It's probably not for everyone, but I think everyone's doing a real good job and, mm. and lifting up material that could be cheesy as fuck. Yes, this is the kind of a... It has a lot of, if, if you read out the description, it sounds a lot like a regular romantic comedy, which it kind of is and kind mm -hmm. of isn't at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Jennifer Lawrence wins an Oscar for it, making her the youngest woman to ever win an Oscar for Best Actress. I think 
my complaint is she's she's really good in it, but I think she's a little too young. She might be miscast. Mm. Cause she, yeah, she said she's 22 and she says her husband, they were married for three years. And it's like this you can get married at 19, especially yeah, I know, us, I know. Bradley, you know. Bradley Cooper's 15 years older than her, and it's like I feel like someone closer to his age. It's yeah. like that's who it's written for, but Jennifer Lawrence could can up her game to do it because she's a great actress. And West Philly, yo, <laughs> all shot on location. Diana stomping. Thank rounds, God for those unfamiliar. Thank, thank God they did not do the accents, even though Bradley Cooper is also from Philly, because those accents are horrible. If you watch Mirror of Easttown, you know what I am talking about. The Wiggles. Yeah, the Wiggles. Pronounce them like the Wiggles. Yeah. Uh, the next movie I avoided. Gotta go, gotta go get some water. Water at the Wawa. And a hoagie hey. at a Wawa. Um, hey. The next movie I avoided, like the plague. Uh, yep. Kyle Harrison, uh, Brett Hulf, Joshua Rush, Bailey Madison, Tom Everett Scott, Marissa Tomei, Bette Midler, and a movie starring Billy Crystal 10 years ago. Uh, Parental Guidance. When mom and dad go away, it's the kids versus the grandparents. Get your taser ready. This Boxing Day, show no mercy. What's wrong with your face? Oh, and you're such a pleasure in the morning? Totally clueless. I say we head for the airport right now. Don't even take our clothes. Parental guidance. I, even looking at this again, well, one I remember seeing it and like, did Billy Crystal grow an extra face? No, he just got old. And, and then, and then, two, like, is this a scenario that merits a major Hollywood picture being made out of it? I stayed with my grandparents, and they stayed with me without my parents all the fucking time. And innately, you know, when you're a little kid. You like your grandparents better because they're only nice to you and your respect. What the fuck? Like, how is this a weird scenario? Did you not stay with your grandparents all the time? Yeah. I, I stayed with them all the time. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't film. Can you believe the grandparents are taking care of the children? Like, are the kids secretly adults in children's bodies? What's the cachet here? In no. Oh, Evans? no. You see, it's culture clash because the parents are helicopter parents who don't let them eat cake or do fun, dangerous Get stuff. The and the grandparents here. are like, I might spank this child in front of people. Oh. Wah, wah. Yeah. 30 2010 did you a favor by not watching this film. Nope. Um, nope. nope. Opt it out. And then moving you into. Too much good stuff. I too am much not good doing stuff. that. Yeah, too much I'm good stuff. It. And we're talking like things that were like years, if not decades, in the waiting. Like things people wanted to see on screen for years yeah. occur this and week. Th this is counter-programming to the grown-up stuff. Yes. So I don't want to. And then, the, you know, the big, as we see this decade, the, the Oscar push really starts here at around the holidays. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, starting with Sasha Baron Cohen, Hello, Bottom Carter. No, it's not. Uh, oh, Sweeney Todd. Uh Samantha Banks, Amanda Seyfried, Anne Hathaway, Eddie Redmayne, Russell Crowe, and Hugh Jackman in Les Miserables. The epic story. I know who you are. You're Jean Valjean. The unforgettable music. I had a dream my life would be. On Christmas Day. So different now from what it's The most loved musical of all time becomes the motion picture event of the holiday season. Don't worry. I'll keep you safe. Rated PG-13. Oh, yes. Uh, sister's a big musical fan, so therefore I grew up hating this and its music. And mm -hmm. uh, there had been like a dozen <laughs> adaptations of this, but not in 20 years. And, no. and, and uh, none of the musical. They adapted the yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah, the, the book the musical, is public domain. The musical is not. Mm. Yeah, the musical has been in development hell for 
20 years ish mm-hmm. it's uh, you know all through the 90s they're trying to get this off the ground because it, it was one of the biggest hits on Broadway. Yes. Um, yeah. So I went through a me- musical theater phase in high school, and I went to Broadway. The very first Broadway musical I saw was Les Mis, Front Row Center. Wow. Ooh. I mean, I could have literally jumped on stage and tackled one of the singers <laughs> before security wrestled me to the ground. That's how close <laughs> I was. And it was one of the seminal entertainment experiences of my life. I was just blown away really? with it. I fell in love with Les Mis. I memorized the songs. My, mine, uh, was, mine was Cats on Broadway. And <laughs> the only reason I wasn't more traumatized by the movie is because at 14, I was forced to see that fucking thing on Broadway. My parents got three tickets together, one ticket alone. I sat alone in the front row and had pelvises where I could see visible curvature of genitalia thrust in my face. <laughs> I I hated it and was scared. But I I did see a Broadway production in Atlanta of Phantom. And that was like, I don't know anything. I don't care about musicals. And that blew me away. Love Phantom. Mm-hmm. So I, I wish I would have seen this on Broadway because it was somewhere between the Fantastics and Cats. It was on Broadway kind of the longest uh, Broadway yeah, proper. It's been around a long time. Same with the West End in London. Mm. which is i think it still might be going yeah um i i'd heard the cast album because yeah i knew you know theater nerds i've, I've never seen it i've seen film versions of les Mis, mm-hmm. uh, including one from the 30s that i think is a lot better than this mm. and i'm like okay well let's let's do this you know it's got all this uh, it's getting award nominations i see every best picture nominee before the oscars I about an hour in the people behind me started talking about where they were going to dinner. Oh boy. And I did not give a shit. I was happy to listen. I hate this movie so much. (laughs) I hate this movie. And I blame it all on Tom Hopper, the who Tom Hooper, the director. Mm -hmm. All of it. Because he he did the King's speech and that was decently directed. It's fine. Nothing, nothing fancy, whatever. He finally gets his hands on this and it comes out and most people really like it except for Russell Crowe. We can talk about that. And I kept saying, no, it's badly directed. It's badly directed. Don't trust this guy with a musical ever again. And I have been vindicated by history because he made cats. Oh, I'm just happy. I'm not at a point in my life where that's the last movie I saw in theaters. Cats caused the pandemic. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Has killed millions of people. It's denied us their buttholes for almost two years now. How dare you? Release the butthole cut. Release the butthole uh, cut. Yeah, I, and I kind of understand what Tom Hooper was trying to do here because when he, he does a couple things that are interesting, he shoots most of the movie in close ups yeah. and medium shots because I think the thinking was that we've seen this on stage where people are far away and don't you want to see them up close and personal and acting? And the answer is, Maybe? No, because then I don't understand the scope and scale of what is going on. Paris seems to be made up of six people. You're telling me that something big is happening. They're building barricades. They're going to fight the army. And I'm like, I see six guys. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, I feel I'm like I'm staring he... at those moles on people's faces because they're huge. When I read about the choices he was making in bringing this movie to the screen, I was just sort of like, you're talking about making a way no one's ever seen it before. I I think you're overestimating how many people have seen it and how many people have seen it. And we would love to see that version in theaters cinematically. Like who are, who are you talking to, to make this version of Les Mis? Yeah. And the the other thing he did was 
do this singing live. They, they're they not singing and then dubbing it over. They're actually recording them singing. They all have earpieces in with the music and they're singing live, mm -hmm. which is tough after you have to do a couple takes. And so when there is yeah, a powerful the singing people moment. People do it once a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you, you flub a note, you, you cover it as fast as you can. You don't have to go back and do it all again. So when there's a powerful singing moment, like I Dreamed a Dream, like if everyone is, it, the emotion is really there and it, it's very, very powerful. Those moments are very few and far between because mm. singing live is hard and most of these people are not trained singers. W w <sighs> that is the fundamental problem. Mm the vast, vast majority of Hollywood musicals make. They hire people who are not singers. The key about a musical, you need good singers. Find people who can sing, and then, if necessarily, give them acting lessons rather than find people who can act and then give them singing lessons. Uh, you've tried it yeah. so many times, it really doesn't work. Yeah. The musicals yeah. of the 40s and 50s, the high point of American musicals, they all had people who could sing. Good, good luck mm -hmm. finding a classic musical from the golden age of Hollywood where it's like, oh, yes, here they yeah. hired uh, Douglas Fairbanks. Uh, he couldn't sing, but they gave him singing lessons. No, they never did that. They <laughs> always got good singers. Or they dubbed your ass with Marnie Nixon, someone yeah. who yeah. could sing amazingly. And it would be jarring because, like, that voice should not be coming out of that person. But do it. Cover it. Who cares? Just uh, I feel bad because, like, I think Hugh Jackman's really good in this i think sasha baron cohen and helena bottom carter are a lot of fun i think Anne hathaway is really good. I, I think most of the performances are pretty good mm -hmm. it, it just does everything he can to fuck it up and russell crowe who can sing a little gets the worst of it because so much of the dialogue in this is also sung and so a lot of his stuff is monotone and that yeah. really ruins yeah. everything for you well he russell crowe is in tune he gets mm -hmm. the beats yep. he's trained in rock and folk this is a musical mm -hmm. it's grandiose it's mm -hmm. bombastic and that's not what he's trained in yeah no, i i've even i've pulled two clips of the same piece of music russell crowe singing it versus <laughs> philip quast <laughs> from the london cast at the 10th anniversary concert Ooh, give me give me this is if gonna be wanna, painful so which one we do you, do we do first so here what the london concert one sounds like first okay Stars in your multitudes, scarce to be counted, filling the darkness with order and light. You are the sentinels, silent and sure, keeping watch in the night. All right, we got, we got. Philip Quas. Now Russell Crowe doing the same jam. Stars <laughs> in your multitudes, scarce to be counted, filling the darkness. <laughs> much, much, much smaller. Smaller, thinner, thinner. Yeah. And hey, if you like this movie, or just you love the show, and you're glad you can finally watch it over and over and over at home with big stars. Good for you. Yes. Plenty of reasons to love this movie. Like, like would you like? Uh, yeah. Just, uh, I think they fucked it up. And I don't think they can do it again for at least like 20 years. Give it a real shot. Yeah. I, 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 I think you could do it again. 
this decade. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. I think that this was a huge success, made like half a billion dollars at the global box office, but I don't think it's revered enough to not redo soon. And mm-hmm. I, more than likely, if any of you are paying attention to live network television, this is kind of the thing they do. And if you don't like non-singer singing Les Mis, I have a live NBC pitch that'll probably really piss you off because that is more than likely to happen. I, I, like, and I appreciate bringing back big musicals. I like big musicals. Yeah. Swing for the fences. Go for it. It just wasn't filmic for me. You you need mm. to use the medium of film to show things yeah. that are too big to see on a stage, and you went the other way. Yeah, for a stupid re- for I think a stupid reason. Um, and then the movie I was there day one for and very very yeah, happy yeah. with. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Jonah Hill, Don Johnson, Robert Carradine, M.C. Ganey, James Remar, Bruce Dern, Samuel L. Jackson, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jamie Foxx. Christopher Waltz, Django Unchained. They call me Hildy. Whom Hilda is my property to rescue his wife. How are we gonna get get ourselves invited to the plantation? Well, come on over. Deception is the plan. My character is a big money buyer. I wish to purchase one of your gals. Suspicion is the game. And your character. This is my valet. From director Quentin Tarantino. Something up with these two poos. You're gonna blow this whole charade. Playing who? I'm curious. I'm curious what makes you so curious. Django Unchained. Rated R. Christmas Day. Christmas present for me. Uh, how can I not love Django Unchained? Big Tarantino fan. Uh, Christopher Waltz. Christoph Waltz plays a bounty hunter who has a person I would like to acquire. I love the way he talks in this. Uh, who befriends, let's say, a uh, slave played by Jamie Foxx. Django teaches them ways of bounty hunting, and they go and kill Candy Manor and get Hildy, his wife, back. Um, it's a little more nuanced than that, but like at the end of the day, this is the part of that Tarantino revenge period trilogy that mm-hmm. will change history if it has to uh, in order to deliver satisfying results. And I very, yeah, Car- and Carrie Washington... Yeah, I feel bad. Yeah, Somehow this is... Carrie Washington got dropped out of the cast list that I had there because, yeah, she's great. Because she's yeah, this Carrie is, Washington. This is not a historical film, no. okay? Uh, there are <laughs> so many things that would just never happen. I'm not going to list them all uh, because Tarantino does not make movies about history. Tarantino makes movies about other movies. And that is what 100% we are seeing here. And I will give him all the credit in the world for making this film because I will call this the first Hollywood slave revenge film. I, I, yeah, I can't, I can't dispute that. I know there have been other films of that, but they're not very Hollywood, right? There's, they're, no. not, they're not with, from a mainstream studio with a mainstream cast and a mainstream budget. No, the, it's the revenge part that's important. I mean, yeah. this falls mm-hmm. on, it, it goes along with Inglorious Bastards and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood of just like, you know what would be fun? Let's watch some historical bad guys get absolutely wrecked at the end it, it, of this movie. To, to its credit, yep. it doesn't harp on like, it does show you flashbacks, but you do not have to spend an entire first act of that movie in that horror and misery. No, mm-hmm. we see glimpses of it and we see that it's currently going on, even if it's not going on to our protagonist. Mm-hmm. But... There's uh, so there's been a lot 
of American films exploring the horrors of the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. There have been relatively few American films exploring the horrors of American slavery. The reason for that is obvious. In Holocaust films, America is the good guy. We're yeah. the ones who stop the Holocaust. Well, and, and there's in, a much more satisfying ending, whereas... Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, America. Good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There. Yeah. That's yeah, uh, my brother and I have talked about, a lot about that. Of why aren't there films about reconstruction? I can think of two. Like Gone a big chunk of Gone wind. with the Wind is about yeah. reconstruction, no, I, I think, and it is not done well. Well, I think a fair yeah. assessment is who would watch them? because I love Twelve Years a Slave. I thought it was the best movie made that year. I don't comfort watch that at all because that is impossible and one of the things i had to after, wonder but the same this, argument could be made after, with holocaust films yeah it, it, but i have to say this after i saw 12 years a slave i came home and put on the last like half hour of django so i'd feel better yeah but i i, I wanted JR, to see slave owners die i'm not living in the sh i'm not constantly reminded in ways that impact me or that are very impactful to me of living in the shadow of slavery and so, like, it, you can understand why a white per I don't know why a I'm I wanted to know wanted to make a plea to like our black listeners. I am curious what you think of Django Unchained because just like Will Smith was this was his role and he turned it down and his reason why he's like because the white guy was the star, not Django. And and I'm watching the movie. I was trying to watch the movie in that I as a black viewer like one like. I didn't want to watch Silver Linings Playbook because of my experience in history. Why would a black person want to watch that? But at the, you know, the movie becomes Django's story and involves Django's agency. There is that aspect to it. But I'm mad curious what the black perspective is on Django Unchained. Is this something, even though you get your your ending, like it's a lot of uncomfortable shit to sit through. It still oh, is for me. There is some ugly shit going on that's treated as like this is normal this is what we deal with every day yeah we just let the dogs tear them apart yeah, yeah. we just let those guys murder each other for our entertainment because they're not guys yeah they're animals property yeah property they're very very upsetting stuff and yeah just leave in the the in the essential inherent violence of this system yeah and, um and that's, that's what i like to so, applaud is like the n-word is very uncomfortable being used this way by so many white people and some of the, some of the black people looking at you, Sam Jackson. Uh, well, but, but Sam God, Jackson does an amazing performance as a villain, yeah. as a slave yeah. who is also a villain. You know, yeah, yeah. he said it's the best, that's a good it's performance. One of his favorite roles for being like the, the worst villain he could ever play. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And again, we're, we got DiCaprio again being uh, Mr. Christmas Day. And um, yeah, it's a great part for him because it's, an it's like unfucking believable such, part. He's he's so charming, but he is so fucking fake. And I, the way that he thinks he's smarter than he is, yes. and the whole thing, his big affectations of Frenchness, but he can't speak French. Where's he my just sister? wants to pretend. <laughs> like I yeah. love this role for him. <laughs> yeah, sister? he pretends that he's all this like worldly and educated, but he is so fucking stupid. Well, because he's been given everything yeah, in his really. life. You know, yeah. that's the central part of his character that we can clearly see. That's why Samuel L. Jackson is shown to actually be the major brains behind Candyland. He's the one who figures out that our protagonists are doing a con on him. And uh, yeah. And yeah. That, that's one of the most wonderful Tarantino scenes I don't get here talked about that much. Like those 
scenes of like plot unfolding in a dialogue sequence, like in story, like mm. years of story being told in a dialogue sequence. And just, I love that fucking dinner sequence. It's so Oof. excruciating, intense, yeah. I, wonderful. And there's, there's I, not I even will... that much at, there's not like death on the line. It's something perhaps even more important, like, you know, Hildy's freedom. And yeah, I, I will, it does kind of bug me that they're, their plan is a little overcomplicated. Mm-hmm. Totally. Like, yeah, yeah. They, they, they don't need to con him that much. I mean, really, Christoph Waltz's character could just show up to Leonardo DiCaprio and be like, I hear you have a slave who speaks German. I, I'm German. I want to buy her. Yeah. yeah. There you go. There's your plan. Buy, they were hoping to buy her for $600 instead of uh, the 12000 he ultimately gets from them mm. and their whole point was well if he knows we want her they'll ask too much money but yeah right. if this was that important to Django, it should have been there are very few german slaves i will give you four thousand dollars which is you know yeah a lot of money. I'm not a money well i do yeah. like mm-hmm. this is a light spoiler none of that money actually changes hands so it doesn't matter like it's the truth yeah. that money's still there hopefully hopefully Django right. and hildy get it yeah so well uh, their last name is von schaft <laughs> do you know who they're the ancestors of wait no the black private dick who's a sex machine with all the chicks oh uh, i thought you said that tarantino I... has said they are the ancestors of judge hell yeah <laughs> anyway so i have another people talking in the theater story mm. where i after i saw this the first time i barely remembered it because i was so focused on the lady sitting next to me why? talk to the movie in a way I've never heard anyone talk to a movie before. Mm-hmm. Most people like they get rowdy. They yell, you know, don't go in there. Oh shit. Look out. She was having a private and personal conversation with the characters in this movie really? <laughs> and no one shushed her. She was, it was a packed house. Cause I think it was opening night. She was like late thirties, early forties, black, nice straightened hair. She kind of looked like Michelle Obama. She was dressed very nice. <laughs> She was with a guy who was dressed nice and another couple, like it was date night. And she sat there very calmly talking to the characters in the movie. And I became so distracted because I was having so much fun listening to her where they're like, Oh, ain't you ever never, ain't you never seen an N word on a horse before? And she'd be like, no, he hasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, Diana may have gotten. Hey boy, boy, what's your name? Oh, it's Django. It's just weird. I've talked to a lot of my black (laughs) friends about. Uh, about this movie but or about movies but never this movie and i wonder if there's a reason Mm. why and it looks like you might have had a little taste of the black experience diana in your theatrical show no i've been to shows where i mean that is such a stereotype that like black folks get rowdy at movies and there's some times where that's true it depends on the movie where just the crowd gets rowdy it makes it makes horror movies better i have a theory it relates to interaction in church probably that's mm-hmm. my theory. When the spirit moves you, you say something. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't moved by the spirit. She was having a conversation with the movie mm-hmm. where they would say something. Hey, how, how do I look in this ridiculous blue suit? Oh, you look nice. <laughs> no one shushed her. I think I might have been the only person who could hear her. Because yeah, Michael was that. on the other side of me. He never heard a word. She was talking just quiet enough to have a conversation with everyone in the movie. It was adorable. I loved it. But I like missed half the movie. I had to go back and watch it again because I was just 
I was just enjoying it so much. <laughs> What's she going to say? And I, oh, no, <laughs> terrible things are happening. How does she feel about this? I, I personally watch this movie several times a year because I am infatuated with however Quentin Tarantino thinks <laughs> single shots in, from a handgun work in the Old West because holy shit, <laughs> does it explode. When people ex- like get shot in this movie, it is a revolting pile of bile. It, it is wonderful. <laughs> wonderful like man yeah somebody somebody dies in this movie and like gallons of blood <laughs> squeak across the floor it is great it is great mm-hmm. and uh it's not quite a western it's not uh, it's a southern yeah. it's not a genre we have but it's it yeah. should be a southern and it should be a bigger genre yeah there's just that one you know yeah. sequence in the beginning where they wander into the town need to talk to the sheriff you know you, you feel like you're going to get a whole western you really it's I remember some complaints about that because then they just wander around the America. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's fun, right? <laughs> it's it's pretty rad. Pretty. They yeah. Play Jim Croce and his snazz. Love that Jim Croce song. I, it's the only thing I replayed from this because, like Jr., historical inaccuracies make me mad. And Rizza wasn't born yet. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, I didn't care in the slightest about the historical inaccuracies because. Yeah. Of Tarantino being Tarantino. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm going in expecting that. If it was in a different filmmaker who didn't signal to me that he doesn't care history at all in some way in a visual manner, then yeah, I do care about his historical ac- inaccuracies. It takes me out of it a little. Yeah. We know they're, they're not really trying. Yeah. Also, it has one of my, my favorite credits in it. Because uh, Russ Tamblin and Amber Tamblin pop up for a second, yeah, and he's credited as son of a gunfighter, which is a movie he made in 1965. Yeah, and cute. she's credited as daughter of a son of a gunfighter. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> this is this is thought, oh, that's cute. Really fun. It it does it doesn't fall into my rewatches as much as Inglorious and Once Upon a Time, but more than hateful. Yeah, true. I think thematically, yeah. they're more related. Yeah. Well, they're definitely related, but this one, we have to see the horrible stuff before we get to the revenge stuff. And those other two, we don't see as much or any, really. I suppose. We pretty much just have payback. And just, But just a lot I of hay critically was made about the violence, and that is one of my favorite. Like, the, well, when white, the white people, <laughs> the violence and white people parts, I mm. love how their brains and blood spill. It is wonderful. Yeah. But yeah, when, when his sister gets got, it is straight out of like Evil Dead 2. It's like Sam Raimi yeah. seeing someone absolutely flying across Woo-hoo. the room from last. Yes. Fuck you. Yes. And uh, everybody you want to see get their, their comeuppance gets it. It's just delicious and delightful. And I don't know that it's streaming for free anywhere, but uh, it was on mm. Netflix for an eternity and I'm shocked it's not still there. Um, but, I hard recommend for Django and, and yeah, hard recommend mm-hmm. for feedback from, I, I just, yeah. Yeah. I do think it's important to cinema mm-hmm. and I am honestly not sure if we would have gotten 12 years a slave if Django hadn't helped yeah, open the door. Hmm. That's a good maybe question. Not. Yeah. Made also made just a little less than Les Mis, but uh, you know, I see a lot more people still talking about and referencing this and I do Les Mis. So the mm-hmm. 2012 movie. Anywho, moving on to television of 2012, Leverage ends on TNT. You could have told ah. me it began because I'm not sh- I know TNT knows drama, but I've never seen it. It's a procedural uh, 
they're Robin Hood thieves. Uh, mm. They steal from the rich and powerful like to it. provide the poor with leverage Let me get some of that. against the rich and powerful. And uh, down, Downtown Abbey, as it's pronounced, has its Christmas special, A Journey to the Highlands. So uh, English Christmas specials are often very different from their American Christmas special counterparts. Uh, the British have a bigger tradition of having like the denouement be shown on Christmas where there's a big event and it can often be very sad and weepy instead of kind of the more joyful American Christmas specials. That's not always true, but it's far more I mean, often in British. When I think about course. my favorites, which are The Office and The Snowman, that's how they end. So <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, last year Christmas special, they killed off a beloved main character in that Christmas special. Mm. And this one, it's I think there was some reaction against that, especially from their American viewers who were like, but, <laughs> but it's Christmas. <laughs> Kill him off on Christmas. Yeah, the show has so been all pleasant more... up until this point. No. no, this is a lot more pleasant <laughs> and it has a birth in it. So, oh, and uh, rounding out our Kennedy Center honors, we got Buddy Guy. He's got a... Get, yeah. Yeah, I saw him live. Uh, Dustin Hoffman, Led Zeppelin, uh, the ones who are left, John Paul Jones, Jimmy Page, and Robert Plant, David Letterman, uh, and uh, Natalia Makarova, the prima ballerina and choreographer. Dance lady, yep. I call her. There's there's always one classical person in there who's like a conductor or something. You're like, huh? Oh, and then you look him up and you're like, oh, shit, they're very accomplished. Right. In, in, in Europe, where they didn't forget about that art form, they're very famous. Yeah. And, well, fuck yeah, buddy guy. Yeah. That's, I'm actually happier for him than Led Zeppelin. <laughs> and I, I'm a huge Zeppelin fan. So. Uh, man, I do, there's one game released uh, during the period of December 23rd to the 29th. Fluidity Spin Cycle on 3DS. Uh, so this is another gimmicky 3DS game. In this one, you literally play water. You are a puddle <laughs> of water, and you tilt your 3DS to make the water go in the right direction and liberate the fluffy bunny people. I don't know. Some magical spirits. <laughs> uh, let's say that. And we are almost done with the show. We're going to tell you who, like, who were the famous people who died during this period in a quiz you can play along with who was born. But I want to thank you guys for listening and thank everyone for joining up. Uh, who has joined up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash laser time. We're a smaller show. We depend on that. We do thank you guys. Not a lot of ads for us. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Got a lot, to, a lot of extra shows coming your way and some extra stuff to record if you've liked our 80, 80s and depths episodes. So we got more coming your way. Um, hopefully a new sick of Star Wars in the new year. Um, yeah, happy holidays to you and yours. Thanks for listening to our shows. Video Game Apocalypse is doing our game of the year shebang. It's it's partially in the can. I think I'm doing some right after this. Uh, but yeah, it's been a real fun year for games, films, and hopefully we'll have a wrap up for that on Laser Time as well. Uh, Die, where can folks find Die Die? They can find me on the Twitter for now at listenerd, L E C I N E, any L E C I N E, any R D, or follow the show at 302010 podcast. That's 302010 podcast. Coming up next week. Not much when it comes to movies. You know, it's the first week of the year. There's, There's been so much that's been released in the last couple of weeks that they kind of take a little bit of a break. But that means we get to wrap up all the stuff we talked about from 1992, 2002, and 2012. It'll be our very, very last one mm -hmm. because it starts on December 30th. <laughs> so we'll <laughs> talk about 
uh, music of the year, the movies of the year, all the stuff that we recommended, words that were added to the dictionary, uh, stuff like that. Indeed. Yeah. It's always a fun going, one. Going over the all our recommends from the past years. That's my favorite part. Right. And picking out what are the absolute ones we recommend the hardest as we can. And JR, what about you, buddy? You can't find me. I'm a ghost. I'm a ghost. I never existed. The wind. I'm taking the social media fast. It's awesome. Honestly, it, there's a lot of, a lot of junk out there that I'm not seeing. That's... Except for podcasts, which help your mind and help your body and heart, help your soul. So, mm. yeah. Thank you guys so much. And Diana, without further ado, who died during this period? Uh, why does everyone die in the holidays? I think it's the ho holiday blues or that thing like, just one more Christmas. I'm good. Yeah. I I'm guess. Good. No, the I'm family's good. all together now. Mm -hmm. I can go peaceful, I guess. So 1992 is when we lost Peyo, the Peyo. creator of the Smurfs. He was only 64, though. Yeah. Yes. What the fuck? Yeah, kind of young, but like, uh, might be the most famous Belgian artist uh, uh at least pop artist of that generation like i loved looking into that guy he was a really cool guy you and don't like tinted I, I do but like but in terms of like his art like because he was already had a famous piece when he introduced the smurfs into it peewee oh. peewee he was a yeah. very small character on smurfs but he the smurfs are a spinoff from his adventures and that became <laughs> way overshadowed in terms of fame and i grew up loving the smurfs then i grew up hating the smurfs and now i grew up like Feeling happy when I look at them, but do not want to see them adapted in any way. <laughs> I could go for a big budget Smurf film. You know, just really have it be high fantasy with the Smurfs. They did, but that'll do never one of those. happen because no, they had humans go to the human world. No, the, the third Smurfs. one is, I think, just pure Smurf. Really? I think I so. Know. But again, like we're they they'd already hurt us. So what were we gonna do? That movie was fucking terrible. <laughs> who else died who else died died well in 2002 that's when we lost herb ritz who was only 50 died from oh. complications of aids he had, he's a photographer and video director with a very specific aesthetic and i can tell you you can picture it right in your head when i say he directed the wicked game chris isaac video wow what okay. that's herb ritz's aesthetic in a fucking nutshell really good photographer i, I like his work mm. we also lost the head of the symbol company armand zildjian mm. who is 81 that's a cool rags to riches story of just i'm just making symbols yeah I they're know, just I the best in the world see their logo at the end of every south park for some reason. yeah everywhere mm -hmm. uh we also lost man same age 81 we lost george roy hill who's a director butch casting the sundance kid the sting uh Funny Farm, Word According to Garp, I think it did. Mm. Yeah, good guy. Uh, weird weird sense of humor, which is cool. And then in 2012, we lost Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf, who was 78, <laughs> the general during the first Gulf War. The, the, one of the most dated things I can remember from a Mad Magazine <laughs> was him on the cover with a four-star button fly, because those were also big during the time of the Gulf War. Oh, <laughs> yeah, button fly jeans. Four-star general wow. button fly fatigues. Oh, but then we lost... the point of those? What? The button flies? Button flies? Yeah. yeah. Women like to undo them. Trust me. I guess. Right. They rip a They're little. They're harder to get no, hair stuck you... in. Yeah, there you go. If you're commando. That's true. You'll yeah. never have a Franks right. and Bean situation. Yeah. Uh, but then we lost two of our greatest schlubby actors Man. ever. This is not right. Charles Durning, 89, and Jack Klugman, 90 I'm years old. Worried. Charles Durning, yeah. I, I like, I, I might be put in an asylum because I think Charles Durning might be the greatest actor that ever he, lived. 
I'm not sure the Coen brothers can keep making movies if their character actors die off at this the rate they have been. But he is literally Lebowski and Hudsucker. <laughs> he is the namesake of those movies. And in addition well, to many other roles. He, well, he didn't play Lebowski or Big Lebowski. He would have, though. I oh, feel like he would have if he was. Was that not available. him? Was, he was, was he Hudsucker? He's Hudsucker. He's Hudsucker. Yeah. Warren yeah. Hudsucker. And he's uh, Governor, Governor Papio Daniels. None of that boy. No time, no time for that boy. We're mass communicating. Oh, <laughs> man. This. And besides that, Tootsie, he's great. The Mel Brooks to be or not to be remake, he's great. The Sting, again, he's, he's freaking rad. It's like, how is this guy a movie star? Oh, yeah, because he's good at everything. Yeah. Great in the Muppet and movie. <laughs> I think he's in the Muppet movies. Two silver stars from yeah. World War II, though. Yeah. He was a, he was a fucking badass at some point. Mm-hmm. And then he's just, you know, big hug, lovable guy. And then Jack Klugman, who is 90, uh, probably best known from TV, Odd Couple, but also Quincy Emmy. And just being one of those guys, it's like, how are you a star? With a you look like everyone's like crabby uncle. And you, and uh, but but Odd Couple and and but he has that name of just like you sound schlubby, Klugman. <laughs> Uh, and uh, and a bunch of really cool Twilight Zones as well. Oh yeah! Oh, yeah. Good, good point. Yeah, we just, we don't make character actors anymore. Mm-hmm. We're too hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Make Chris Pratt fat again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, R.I.P. to those, but you know, with the deaths, we got the births and some new people in our birthday quiz. Birthday is okay. Turning seventy-five. Still with us, born December 29th, 1947. 1947. Known for his longtime activism in ocean conservation. Activism. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in 2011, he published his first book, Oceana Are Endangered Oceans and What We Can Do to Save Them. Huh. It's oh, not. I, I have a guess, but I think he's younger. It's not James Cameron. His, no. His film debut was in the 1978 crime drama The Onion Field. Oh, um Is that James Woods? <laughs> no. That cannot be. Okay, Movies he's on the of <laughs> his we have talked about include Jerry and Tom, Homegrown and Saving Private Ryan, all in 1998. Huh. Okay. I'm going to name some more because he hasn't been in that many movies. Huh. And if I name his TV shows, it's going to be an easy thing. Okay. He was in the 1989 film Cousins. Oh, I got it. Yeah. Uh, 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 Jack Lemon. Ted no. Danson. Ted Danson. Oh, God damn it. Yay. I was going to then mention Dad and then 87's Three Men and a Baby and 1990's Three Men and a Little Lady. Wow. And th- both of those would be giveaways as would Cheers and yeah. So, yeah, yeah turning we're 75. Yeah. Damn, looking good. Yeah, way to go, Handsome Frankenstein. Uh, <laughs> that's That nickname is not going to catch on, but I'm still going to call him that. <laughs> and yeah, good on you, Ted Danson. Ocean advocacy. I did not know that. I didn't either. Oh, the raising temperature of the ocean and the raising salt in the ocean is like one of those ginormous issues that get like three articles in the year. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really bad. It's really bad. Oh, 
Yeah, read about what's okay. about to go down in Key West. Holy shit. So you want to raise the city up in that another level? Uh, mm. Something's coming. And um, yeah, and thank you so much for listening. Patreon.com slash laser time. Five bucks, all we ask. Um, and then we're going to take you out with uh, My Name is Trinity, the theme from Django Unchained, a great soundtrack. Great um, soundtrack. This is one of my those moments where I'm very proud of myself, where it's like I got the reference at the Tarantino movie. I didn't mm. have to go look it up later. Mm. You know, because so much he does like really obscure songs that were used in movies that you've never freaking heard of. And then you like look them up on the soundtrack and you find out where they're from. And this is when it's like, I've seen that movie. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Trinity. Also called, uh, Trin you know, they call me Trinity. Mm -hmm. That movie is fucking great. Y'all should watch it. I'm going to throw that in the classic corner as well. It's a spaghetti Western comedy with Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer, who is a real life Bluto. He just looks exactly like Bluto. And it's Hell this yeah. comedy about like a lazy guy who's a gunfighter. And at the end, they like decide to join the Mormons because they have chicks. It is so goofy. Okay. Rad. Super love it. We're taking that with My Name is Trinity. Thank you guys so much for listening. Tune in next week because we'll be doing a year-end wrap-up uh, and patreon.com slash laser time. We will see you next week. Bye. He's the guy who's the talk of the town. With the restless gun Don't you bother to fool him around Keeps the vomits on the run Boy, keeps the vomits on the run You may think he's a sleepy type guy Always takes his time Soon I know you'll be changing your mind when you've seen him use a gun, oh, when you've seen him use a gun.